Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Plank and Sell Show with Mark. Celebrating its 10-year anniversary, dominating the podcast world. our cabs for March 2023. Wait, we're not here this week because next week's our anniversary week and we have a lot planned. So we're taking this Friday off to set up for next week's craziness and I'll run down that in a minute. But for this week's show, this month archive show, I wanted to do something different. Instead of playing a Lexus show episode, we're going to be hearing a lot of next week, I decided to, I checked the extra reading and put this up before. Um, Mandy actually did a little mini-series back in 2015 when she was writing for a blog and she did an audio version of all her blog pieces and we called it Making the Pieces Fit and there are 39 episodes so I'm going to compile them all up and we're going to play them all at once. These are from 2015. They're really, really good and I'm glad I saved them and I'm glad I have them so that everyone can hear and enjoy this. So sit back and enjoy this. So we'll be back on Monday. Yes, I said Monday because next week we have a full week of shows for you planned. So Monday, you'll be hearing from me, Dad, and John Parker, and we're going to sit back and look at, look at all the shows coming up for us Monday weekend that are non-WWE-related, including NXT. So everything I'll be on, that'll be Monday, and that'll be the start of what's going to be a very, very busy week. Tuesday, make sure you join us at noon Central Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, if you're available. Jump on Zoom and join us for our live anniversary show. We're doing a 10-year anniversary special live on Zoom and you can join us at noon Central Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time. So be there, and for now, sit back and enjoy this very special show. Happy day, everybody. Dearest Christian, I somehow blinked and you started second grade. You went from my little mohawked baby with the squeak to this charming spitfire with the most amazing eyelashes. I know I didn't authorize this, you getting older, 
but I know I must also deal with it. You are my firstborn, and most likely my only child. It makes every single one of these firsts just that much harder, because they are all firsts and lasts. I didn't cry this morning when you woke up and called you a second grader for the first time. I definitely didn't cry as we were getting ready because you made the morning as difficult as you could. I didn't shed a tear as we took the ceremonial picture in front of your school or the picture of the two of us. I did start to break last night when I met your new teachers and let them know that you are truly an amazing child. I told them what we've been through to get you where you are, therapies, medications, IEP meetings, people who have given up on you, and people who have helped you soar. I told them that you are definitely one of a kind and have your moments, but that every single one of them is worth it. I thought I was fine until I came across a picture of you four years ago today on your first day of K3. We've been through so much since then, and we have come out so much stronger. You've been showing the world for the past four years that you are more than a diagnosis. I wish that I could go back and tell that little boy and his mommy that everything would be all right. I wish I could tell them both that these years would be hard and that there would be sleepless nights, meltdowns, tantrums, changes in doctors, medications, and constant changes when we think we've got it figured out. I'd also tell them that they'd come out stronger and happier than ever. I'm definitely crying as I type this because I wonder how your first day is going. I hope that your friends were excited to see you and that you were excited to see them. I hope that you got over your fear of going into the classroom and that you sat into your seat with no problem. I hope that you got to tell everyone about how you went on a water slide you were scared of at first 15 times in a row. I hope that lunch was one of your favorites and that you got to run off some of your energy at recess. I wonder what you're learning right now, and that I hope that getting back into a routine is easy for you. I hope you know that even though I can't be with you in the classroom, that I'm always thinking of you. My baby boy, there was so much more that I wanted to do with you this summer. There were so many places I wish we could have gone and so many things that I wish we could have done. My time with you is never enough, and now you'll see your teachers more than you'll see me again. I hope that you'll smile when you see that I bought you an orange pencil box because it's your favorite color, or when you see the keychain your daddy put on your Star Wars backpack and think of that magical day at the water park we spent together. As ready as I thought I was for motherhood, you made sure to change all of that. I'm constantly worrying that I'm doing things right and helping you to be the best young man you can be. You've taught me more in these seven years than I could have ever learned in a book or on the street. My child, you have helped me get better with patience, although it's definitely something I could use more of. You've taught me that it is possible to live with my heart outside of my body, as it's currently sitting in an elementary school classroom. You've helped me find my voice while teaching everyone about you and other amazing children like you. You have given me a true purpose in life. I was kind of going through the motions until you chose me to be your mother, and I will spend my entire lifetime proving to you that you didn't make the wrong choice. Pooh Bear, if I may still call you Pooh Bear, 
Thank you for still giving me a kiss and hug when I dropped you off this morning. Please never grow too old not to kiss and hug me, because your kisses and hugs fuel my soul. I cannot wait to hear about your day, and I hope that you'll give me that chance when I get home. Love always, Mama. Pokemon. There's something deep down that I need to admit. Something that I've been trying to hide for most of the summer. I've been ashamed, but it's time for me to come clean. My name is Mandy, and I'm a Pokemon. I want to be the very best, like no one ever was. is 2015, correct? I can't help but get this deja vu feeling whenever I see Pokemon toys at McDonald's or see Pikachu on backpacks, lunchboxes, and t-shirts. I lived all of this 20 years ago with my younger brother. What have I done to deserve this double dose of Pokey hell now with my son? I'd like to thank McDonald's and their toys for starting this Pokey obsession. So much for it being a happy meal. Gotta catch them all must translate to driving to three different restaurants looking for the last one in the set, which we had to buy on eBay. Thank you very much. The next thank you I'd like to issue is to Dollar Tree. They've deemed Pokemon cards relevant enough to be purchased at their stores, but at a discounted rate equal to that which Christian earns for completing his chores. I find it amusing that one of his chores is to handle the house's shredding, what I'd like to do to those cards. The nail in the coffin and the finishing moment of the Pokefecta came from Netflix. Oh, how you have betrayed me, my sweet cinematic lover. I'm not sure how watching Mechanical Animals means to recommend Pokemon, but Christian saw that little yellow monster and our lives have never been the same since. On a side note, some parents have problems with their children in video games. Our son has BWS, Binge Watching Syndrome. Three of his favorite words, one more show. He has physically held his eyes open to see the end of a show instead of allowing us to pause it so he can go to bed. If binge watching were an Olympic sport, Christian would be the junior gold medalist. His condition may be hereditary, however. 
The jury is still out on that, until I can get back into Gilmore Girls, or start season three of Orange is the New Black. But when we look back on the summer of 2015, I will forever remember it as the summer of Pokemon. A trip to Dollar Tree just wasn't complete unless he got two packs of cards, because he doesn't like odd numbers, unless three packs was an option. There was the time he was caught smuggling cards into camp via his shoes because he claimed that they would fall out of his shorts pockets. He came back from a camp field trip one dollar richer, but also in a strange turn of events, lost a card that got past us. He still swears that little boy gave him a dollar for being a good friend. I must not be that great of a friend. My friends don't give me cash, but mind me margaritas. Wait... That makes me an awesome friend. I can honestly say that I don't think we were the only appearance affected by those little Japanese monsters. I can't say for sure that others watched as many poorly dubbed shows as we did, but I also wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy. The final straw came when we received a note in the weekly camp newsletter banning all Pokeganda. I didn't know that there was such a huge Pokemon black market but it was starting to cause problems amongst the children. I was pretty sure that I had public enemy number one until the camp director reassured me that her son was just as much to blame and $5 richer. Add a few too many bedtime meltdowns for one more show, and this mommy has had her fill of Jigglypuff, Ash, and the gang. Why, sure, Christian. Mommy and Daddy want nothing more than to watch another 21 minutes, not like we're counting, of anime with unidentifiable creatures and storylines. Why spend time with each other when we can spend time with Squirtle? This weekend, I came to the realization that Pokemon might not be all that bad. First off, we were introduced to Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon's evil manga cousin. I never thought I'd miss Team Rocket so much, but watching this made me want to start their fan club. More importantly, Christian chose a book over a toy for our for our outing. A book beat out Legos, and he read from that same book on purpose. You see, Christian is a math and science kind of kid. Reading and writing is not his cup of chocolate milk. We've tried a variety of things to get him bitten by the proverbial reading bug, because his father and I were both bitten by it at young ages. None of those things seemed to work. Had I known that an encyclopedia of Pokemon characters would have done the trick, I would have helped his daddy need a reason to purchase it as an apology gift sooner. He was trying to sound out words and formulate sentences, and my heart grew thankful for those stupid characters. They were able to do something I wasn't. I admit that I rolled my eyes when he chose a Pikachu shirt as one of his new pieces of school clothing. My eyes probably should have rolled out of my head when he asked to wear it on the first day of school. And I'm pretty sure they did come out of my head when I caught him trying to sneak his pencil box of cards in his backpack the second day of school. But as I pulled the box out, I noticed a bunch of handmade cards at the top. There was yet another thing Pokemon brought out in Christian. Creativity. Yes, there were the cards that he'd purchased and the cards that he made at camp that were the only ones allowed. But there were also many more that he had made. And they were good. He had written on them and drawn colorful pictures and took care when doing so. I allowed the handmade cards only, and surprisingly, he didn't put up a fight. Monday was Labor Day, and was Mommy CJ Date Day. We went mini-golfing into the dollar store, where he got more Pokemon cards, of course. 
We finished up our outing by going to Qdoba. I could have gotten upset when his new cards were the only thing he could focus on at our last lunch of the summer. Instead, I stepped into his world. I played along and learned the basic rules of the game. It turns out that I might have hated Pokemon so much because I'm horrible at it. I chose all the pink characters. But we sounded out words and laughed. Together. So Pikachu, you're not so bad after all. Don't get me wrong, I'm still watching you. Now let's not have another bedtime tantrum because of you. Please? date today, September 15th, 2015, and for the first time in 15 days, it hit me that it's September. How is the year almost 75% over? 2015 will soon be just a memory, but I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts. The changing of seasons represents newness, though familiar, to life in general. The colors that nature offers, the delicious apple and pumpkin recipes, the Halloween and Thanksgiving traditions, they are all conventional, but contain so much promise for new memories. Fall just feels like a fresh start. With kids, including mine going back to school, comes the end of summer vacations and camp and the beginning of a routine consisting of soccer practices and PTO meetings. While scheduling events for and about Christian, I'm finding this year that it is equally important to schedule my workouts at the gym and my weekly weight loss support group meeting. I'm treating these as appointments with myself that I cannot cancel. My mommy guilt is real when I'm on the elliptical instead of helping him with his homework. My heart will hurt a little when his dad sends me a picture of him at his indoor soccer game on Thursday while I'm at my weigh-in. I just hope that with time he will understand that everything I do including my self-inflicted torture by sweat, is for him. I want to be in his life for a long time to embarrass him with kisses, nicknames, and the one picture I have of him dressed in a superhero cape, mask, and pull-up. I'm saving that last one for his prom date. Bottom line is that I want to be around for all of his best moments, but I won't be around if I'm not healthy. I, unfortunately, have my work cut out for me. You see, September is also PCOS Awareness Month, and I am one of the one in 10 women diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome. PCOS is a set of symptoms that result from a hormonal hormonal imbalance in which women have high levels of male hormones called androgens. I was formally diagnosed in 2009 after a journey filled with uncertainties, misdiagnosis, and my own 
7-pound, 14-ounce miracle a year before. Kirsten was truly a miracle because many women who have PCOS also deal with infertility. It felt like right after we made the decision to start trying for a child that I was rocking him in his Clifford nursery. Long before I became a mother, I dealt with many of the other symptoms, however, and like many other women, I stumped many doctors. Acne was attributed to puberty and oiling skin. Depression was attributed to the loss of my grandparents, who were major cornerstones in my life. The excess hair on my body was blamed on my Sicilian and Mexican heritage. My high cholesterol was blamed on my weight, and my weight was blamed on a sedentary job and a dislike of working out. There was a lot of blame going on, and I felt like most of it was placed on me. Things just weren't adding up, and instead of taking care of myself, I was being self-destructive as a bulimic. Part of my therapy for my eating disorder entailed going to the doctor again to either get help or get the wake-up call I needed to realize that this was my struggle and that I was the only one that could save me. I decided to see my gynecologist as I'd always had irregular and painful periods. After many blood tests and a pelvic ultrasound, I finally had a diagnosis. I felt vindicated, but also terrified. Knowing what is wrong is one thing, but doing something about it is a completely different story. For the majority of the four years after being diagnosed, I swept everything under the rug. Medications were left untaken, excuses were made, and doctors were ignored. About a year ago, I went to my family physician for a physical. She took a look at my test results and statistics and recommended weight loss surgery. I had seen endocrinologists who immediately recommended that and left their care. But this was different, as my doctor has known my family for over 20 years. It meant something coming from her that weight loss surgery was seemingly my only option for help. But I knew that I had lost weight before and kept it off and knew I could do it again. The ball was in my court as to whether or not I wanted to live. And that night, while getting my son to bed, I chose life. My story doesn't end there, but this blog is truly about PCOS and awareness for the disease. I am only one of approximately 5 million women who deal with the symptoms and struggles on a daily basis. Since 1 in 10 women are affected by PCOS, I wanted to share 10 facts about PCOS. I hope that this information is helpful to those struggling to figure out what is wrong with their body, those who love someone affected by PCOS, and even those who are new newly diagnosed. I've compiled this list based on my extensive research and own experiences. One. There is no known cause of PCOS. There are several factors that have been identified, but the experts cannot pinpoint one specific cause. Genetics and hormones are two of the most common culprits. Regardless of someone's history, PCOS is no one's fault. Two, there is no checklist for diagnosing PCOS, which why it is difficult for doctors to diagnose. There is no specific test to diagnose PCOS, as no two women with PCOS have all of the same symptoms. It can take time to diagnose PCOS, because at any one time, a woman could show one, many, or no symptoms. 3. There is no cure for PCOS. PCOS can only be managed to treat symptoms and prevent future health problems. Treatments for PCOS are like the diagnosis process. No two cases are exactly the same. Treatments like lifestyle modification, medications for diabetes and fertility, and laser hair removal are all common. The most th important thing to remember is that there is no one-size-fits-all treatment plan. 4. PCOS is a lot of work 
It's taking medications that make you sick. It's working out when the disease has zapped all of your energy. It's not being able to have control over your own feelings and emotions. It's rethinking that second drink or choosing the healthier option when all you want is the unhealthy one. My physician has told me losing weight with PCOS is necessary, but it also takes twice as much work to see half the results. It's quite depressing when you think of it. 5. Speaking of depression, PCOS greatly increases the odds of a woman developing anxiety and depression. The stress of having the disease, dealing with the diagnosis, and the effects on a woman's body all attribute to their mental and emotional health. Hormones also play a large part, and those are difficult to control. 6. PCOS can lead to other more serious and long-term conditions. Along with anxiety or depression, other concerns are sleep apnea, high cholesterol, diabetes, and high blood pressure. It is imperative to control PCOS to prevent or treat these concerns as well. 7. Once pregnant, PCOS can cause problems during pregnancy. For many women, fertility is just the beginning of the issue. For others, including myself, other issues arise during pregnancy. I dealt with pregnancy-induced high blood pressure. Other concerns are gestational diabetes, premature delivery, and miscarriage. 8. PCOS does not discriminate. It doesn't matter what race you are, how much money you make, or what you look like. PCOS can affect women from all walks of life. It is a myth that all PCOS women are overweight. Though I am, 50% of women with PCOS are not. You cannot look at a woman and know whether or not they are affected by PCOS. 9. You are not alone if you have PCOS. Upon diagnosis, it is easy to feel alone and isolated. The symptoms can be embarrassing, but we can find support when we speak up and find someone else with PCOS. Though our paths may not be the same, the support we can provide to each other is second to none. 10. A woman may have PCOS, but she should not be defined by her PCOS. We are not our symptoms or our treatments. At the core of everything, we are still loving, strong, and beautiful. It is easy to lose ourselves through the struggle, but perhaps the most effective treatment is knowing our self-worth. This isn't by any means a comprehensive list, so I encourage others to do further research. I just want others to be made aware of a struggle that has been silent for way too long. It's been quite the journey for me, and it's really just started. It is, however, important to remember how far we have come. my world. I miss being a kid. 
I wish that I could go back and tell the younger version of myself that I had it made. I didn't have to pay bills. Naps were strongly encouraged. I didn't have to count the calories in my cookies and milk. And recess was the best workout ever. Why do we all want to grow up? It's a trap. Sometimes I wish I could take my fuzzy blanket and pillow and build a fort. Then I'd curl up with ants on a log and sunny delight with a fresh box of crayons and a brand new coloring book blasting all the boy band music I could. I would color my worries away. Luckily for me, it is now socially acceptable for adults to color. I'll have you know I was coloring long before it was the cool thing to do. I'd rummage through hostess stands for a pack of crayons at restaurants. I've become quite the bubble letter master on many placemats. I've even asked for a kid's menu at a table full of adults. Sometimes I'm the only adult coloring with kids at my son's school events. I feel no shame. To all the closet colorers out there, you can now hold your coloring pencils high. There's no longer a need to say that the Hello coloring book in your cart is for a child in your life. You can now join the over a million adults who have purchased and are coloring from British illustrator Johanna Bassford's coloring books. There aren't really any studies to prove that coloring books lower stress levels, but I dare anyone not to smile after coloring a minion, or Mickey, or a pretty pretty princess like Belle. Bassford told BuzzFeed that adults get so much joy from the activity because coloring can often be a cathartic activity after a busy day of draining adult activities. There's one definite perk of being an adult who colors. A good glass of Moscato beats grape juice any day. My best friend and I went to Starbucks Wednesday night and colored with our drinks. It helped relieve my tension after a stressful week and a variety of people even commented on how it looked fun. Coloring is fun and it's universal because the hard work is already complete. Not many of us have the ability to create art with a blank piece of paper and a pencil, because that's a daunting task. It's the opposite of calming. We all do, however, have a creative spark just waiting for us to pick up the right book and the right colors. I really like the books with fun designs and motivational quotes. I found that certain pictures remind me of certain people. I really think that coloring can be like any other craft gift, because it does take some time to create something one-of-a-kind and beautiful. I just really hope that the people receiving these gifts will think the same. You can search for books on Amazon, or a quick Google search will lead you to lots of free printables. If my new hobby didn't bring enough color into my life, I recently completed my third color run at Miller Park. Before I turned 30, I set out to complete a 5K and chose a color run. I wanted something fun that could hold my attention as I have a definite case of EADD, Exercise Attention Deficit Disorder. I held my teammates back, took a shortcut once, and felt like a truck ran over me even 48 hours later. But I did it and had a blast. When the opportunity came to throw more color in the air, along with glitter, I jumped at it. Almost 30 pounds lighter this year, I felt a huge difference, especially as I ran to the finish line to get my medal. Two months later, and two Saturdays ago, my work wives and I donned crazy headgear, glow-in-the-dark swag, and color ran at night. Another notch in my hypothetical color splash belt, and another 3.1 on my color run-only shoes. I had a blast, even after throwing my back out earlier the week. 
Sure, the blacklight bubbles and glow-in-the-dark nails were childlike, but my bottle of pineapple juice and vodka made me realize that being an adult isn't so bad after all. Imagine being in a starkly white and bright room with sirens blaring and a group of people surrounding you to periodically poke at you while you're in an itchy wool sweater. That doesn't sound very fun, does it? For the more than 3.5 million Americans that live with an autism spectrum disorder, this is how birthday parties, concerts, and public speaking feels. The symptoms of sensory processing disorder can coincide with those of ASD. When dealing with sensory overloads, it is easy for someone to feel out of control and move into fight or flight mode. They can become aggressive or can run away from the situation, and neither of those options is ideal. As the parent of a child on the spectrum, it is critical for me to prevent triggers or help minimize the meltdowns. My husband arrived early with Christian to his first soccer practice because crowds can often be a trigger for him. The crowd came to him instead of him going into the crowd, and that made a huge difference. At birthday parties, you will rarely see Christian singing around the cake because he knows that could set him off. We also don't sing to him on his birthday, and instead say happy birthday to him one by one in a softer tone. Forcing him to sing or forcing singing to him are not options and not fair to him or others. We have also been very lucky to have a teacher who is accommodating to him this year. To help him with his fidgetiness, she's designed a bead and pipe cleaner tool for him to work with. Instead of putting him in the center of his team, she's put him on the end. This way, he can still remain with his pod, but the odds of him getting brushed against are limited. She understands that when he is fidgety, that he is much more impulsive. She un also understands that though someone brushing up against you or me isn't a big deal, that it could feel like being poked with a needle for Christian. Our support system also extends to our church. For second through fifth graders, there is a large room where they learn together and play together. There are video games and toys, and even a four square made of tape in the middle of the room. Picking him up can be overwhelming for me sometimes with all of the noises and activities, so I can only imagine what it's like for him. Instead of shunning him, they got creative in ways to make things easier for him. When noise-canceling headphones didn't work, they created a quiet corner with a partition, beanbag chairs, and Legos. I know that 9 times out of 10, when it's time for me to pick him up on a Sunday afternoon, that he'll be there waiting for me. As important as it is to have those coping mechanisms and support systems in place, we must realize that we do not control everything. Neither do our special needs children, or any child for that matter. 
Something that they may have done in the past numerous times could now be bothersome. A noise or a touch or a smell or a combination thereof could set off a sensory overload for the child. If you've been around a child with any kind of meltdown, you know that reasoning with or talking to them is very difficult. If you've dealt with this in public, you know the stares. You know the snide comments and the complaints. During the matinee performance of The King and I at the Lincoln Center Theater in New York City on September 23rd, a child with autism began to yelp during the second act. The child became louder and the audience became more and more impatient with both the child and the mother. Kelvin Moon Lowe, an actor in the musical, took to Facebook to address the situation. Lowe had a previous job as a teacher in an after-school program and became close with a student with autism, so he was sensitive to the situation. When did we, as theater people, performers, and audience members, become so concerned with our own experience that we lose compassion for others? He asked in his post. He said that he wanted to stop the show and tell everyone that she was trying and pleading with her child. The child was probably in fight-or-flight mode and was acting in defiance. He later wrote that he was in tears during the curtain call when he saw the empty seats because he truly believes that The King and I on Broadway is family-friendly, which means entire families, disabilities or not. He said that it is the job of the performers to make theater accessible to all. He then expressed to the Mighty that he hoped she would read his post and realize she did nothing wrong by bringing her child to the theater. He then said these words that hit me right in the gut. She was doing everything right by doing her best. That statement brought me back to just a month ago, when my husband and I were that mother and our son was that child. For his seventh birthday, my husband and I decided to buy Christian tickets to see his favorite band in concert in lieu of a birthday party, because birthday parties can be an ordeal in itself. He went to see the Imagination Movers when he was three, and loved the show, so we were excited when we found out that the Movers were coming back to the area. We were thrilled when we were able to get him front row tickets, and even more so when we realized he could meet them as well. The day came and Christian was as excited as could be. We went to dinner and headed to the show. We got there and he wanted a t-shirt and a poster and something obnoxious that lit up. Realizing that we didn't have enough cash on us, my husband took to the car to find an ATM. Christian and I played for a bit, and then I made the recommendation to head inside and take our seats. We entered the theater, he looked around, and ran out. For the next 15 minutes leading up to the show, Christian ran from one side of the theater to the other as I chased him and pleaded with him to go to our seats. My husband came back and we made the decision to sit in the back of the theater, despite the seats we had purchased, so he could enjoy the show. The music started, music that in the past had brought him only joy, and music that four years ago gave us one of the best memories we have at the family. <coughs> this time, the music brought him to tears. He was in meltdown mode. The next 15 minutes was spent outside of the theater, with Christian crying and running away from us. My husband and I got snippy with each other. I sobbed, not knowing what to do, which is the worst feeling when you're a mother. I had somehow put my child in a situation that caused him so much anguish. The stage manager threatened that we would have to leave because we were causing a scene. 
I told her that we were trying our best and that we were sorry that our special needs son was having a rough time. Perhaps she felt bad because I was crying or realized that we weren't bad parents, but she was suddenly accommodating. We watched the duration of the concert from a TV outside of the theater. He curled up on my lap and we watched the show like we had done hundreds of times before. It wasn't what I had envisioned at all. I couldn't help but wonder how his face would have lit up when he saw his favorite character. I wanted to know how loud he would have sung along to his favorite song. I wanted to see all of his silly dance moves and laugh together. That just wasn't in the cards and it stung so badly. I wanted to be in that theater making memories like all of those other families. I cried for him and cried for me that night. When the concert was over, I looked down and he was sleeping in my lap. Worn out from the meltdown, he would not be able to meet the four men who had such an impact on his life. My husband took Christian to the car and I waited in line to meet them as we had gotten three meet and greet passes. We wanted him to have some remembrance of the evening, so we decided to get a few things autographed. Right before I went to meet them, I had an idea and was hoping it would play out. When Rich, one of the imagination movers, greeted me, I immediately let him know that my son is a huge fan and is on the spectrum and the concert was just too much for him. Rich gave me a huge hug, introduced me to the rest of the guys, and began to autograph his DVD and the poster we purchased. I then asked them if they could tape a message for him, and Rich grabbed his guitar and asked what his favorite song was. The next 30 seconds will always be ingrained in my heart. Yeah, here we go. Hey, Christian. Thank you so much you for coming to us. Oh, hey, shake up the love. Shake up the love. Shake up the love. You got legs. Hey, shake up the love. 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 After many hugs from the imagination movers, my turn was over and I ran to the car to show my husband. Tears formed in his eyes and he knew it was his turn to meet them and thank them. He was going to get Christian's beloved shirt signed. The shirt had seen better days, but it was worn out because it was his favorite and he loved it so much. Blake got the shirt signed and the guys immediately remembered Christian, even though they hadn't met him and they talked to at least a hundred other fans. Scott, another imagination mover, put a pick in my husband's hand and told him to make sure Christian got it. Dave, Christian's favorite, said that he wishes he could have met him after he was told Christian wanted to be just like him when he grew up. Driving home, we realized the night went nothing like we planned. We wanted to be driving home with the windows open, blasting their music, singing along, and talking about how great the concert was that we were just at. Instead, my husband and I were quietly talking to each other about how nice the guys were and how much we wished Christian could have met his idols. At the end of the day, we realized we did our best. We always try our best, and sometimes it works out. But for the times it doesn't, we're glad that there are people like Kelvin Moonlow, or the Imagination Movers, or even our family and friends who understand why we shat in our eyes happy birthday or why we're early to a gathering. Life is all about being in fight-or-flight mode, and we've chosen to fight. We're ready to take diagnosis and obstacles head-on the best we can.
grocery shopping yesterday, I saw one of my former co-workers. The first thing she asked was to see a picture of my son, to which I happily obliged. The second question she asked is if we were going to have another child. I felt like I was in the questioning room at the police station. The spotlight was on. She's not the first person to ask this and will definitely not be the last person to ask, which leads me to a question of my own. When does the interrogating stop? From the moment I met my husband, I feel like I've been one never-ending interrogatory. Even though our dating was long distance, people wanted to know when he was going to propose. Once he did propose, they wanted to know if we had set a date. <clears throat> when we were married, the subject quickly changed to babies. While pregnant, I was questioned about the baby's gender and our due date at least twice daily. Once Christian was born, I thought I would be safe. Boy, was I wrong. Shortly after my healing period, the paparazzi came back. Blake and I always thought that we wanted two children around two years apart. Once CJ turned two, we realized that another child was not possible at this time. Between daycare costs and impending autism diagnosis and sanity, there was no way we could handle another baby and our handful of a toddler. Yet everywhere we turned, there was that question we hated to answer. We politely told people that we were going to wait until our son was out of diapers and in school so we could cut costs and only have one child in diapers and daycare since that alone is more than a rent payment for most. As time has gone on and more people question us, the less we have an answer to that question. <coughs> Depending on the day, and even the time of day, our answer changes. There are days where I would love another child, a playmate for Christian and another piece of my heart walking on earth. Another child would make my white picket fence dream a reality, minus the fence itself. Then the realness of reality sets in. We can barely afford life right now. We, like most, live paycheck to paycheck. How could we possibly afford another without taking away from our son? Even at that, no one pencils in having a special needs child in their dreams. Christian requires hands-on and constant attention. He is definitely a handful. Most of the time he is a good handful, but I've equated him to a ticking time bomb because you never know when he's going to go off. He can be extremely aggressive, so I do worry how he would be with me during a pregnancy and with an infant. He's not intentionally violent, but even with the best in of intentions, he can cause an accident that can be dangerous for all involved. Christian's routine is so ingrained in him that I have no idea what would happen if we didn't follow it. It's difficult to get people to understand how much autism can take out of a family. So we keep getting questioned, like there are multiple microphones in our faces, for all of the news networks. As I've mentioned before, I have polycystic ovarian syndrome. While I was lucky to get pregnant right away and have a fairly uneventful pregnancy, I might not be so lucky this time. It may be difficult for me to get pregnant right away, or there may be complications. I had to be induced due to high blood pressure, and the process did not go as planned. I do not want anything to happen to both me and our child. The risk is too high this time. I need to get my health in gear. Lastly, and on a somewhat selfish note, we are getting comfortable with having an older child. Most nights we get to sleep more than two or three hours at a time. He can go watch cartoons with his uncle or play outside with his grandfather and we can clean, cook, or even relax a bit without worrying. We can go out on dates and do things with our friends. Most parents know that a social life can be unheard of. And with a baby, it's almost impossible. Granted, we do not go out very often, but with two, I have no idea how it would play out. 
I feel like asking someone to watch him is an imposition, which I know it's not, but Mommy Guilt gets everyone at some point or another. <coughs> so when my former co-worker asked me about another child, I got a little nervous and tried to answer the checklist of questions in my head. What was I feeling at the moment? What day was it? What time was it? Did Christian sleep well the night before? Did he cuddle with me in the morning or did he kick me? How was his week at school? What was the reason he wasn't with me at the grocery store? My brain was going a mile a moment and a few people turn around in the bread aisle to hear the answer. People I don't even know. I blurted out the first thing I could think of. I don't know. Then I thought to myself that that's the perfect answer right now because we don't know. I feel like I could step off of the witness stand of the trial I was at. Right now, having another child is not in the cards for all of the reasons listed above and more. No one knows what the future will bring. Christian could start adjusting to medication therapy in school. Blake and I can pay down debt and find out that there's a way to live that's not paycheck to paycheck. There could be a time where plates are not so full and God will tell us that another child is for us. We are both still young and there's no rule on how far, how far apart children need to be to love and care for each other. There's also no rule as to how a family becomes a family. We've thrown out foster care or adoption as possible ideas in the future. There's a lot for us to learn about parenting before we can claim to be expert enough to have equal teens. Until a final decision is made, if and when that will be, we are more content with the family we have now. And please know that you won't need to ask us as we'll let you know when that decision is made. legacy. 14 years ago on Friday, one of the first loves of my life passed away. One of the greatest women I will ever know would have been 81 on Saturday. These two amazing people were the best grandparents that I could have ever asked for, Nana and Papa. As a relatively young parent, I often look back on the wisdom that my grandparents instilled in me and the lessons that they taught me to get through the rough patches. I do wish, however, that they were here with me throughout the journey. When I get where I'm going On the far side of the sky The first thing that I'm gonna do Is spread my wings and fly I miss them terribly. Well, over a decade later, these two days of the year are hard on me. I see Christian, and I want so badly for his great-grandparents to see him grow into the little man he is. I want them to hug and kiss him and take him to all the places they took me growing up. 
I want them to meet Blake and for them to love him as much as I do. I would have loved their marriage advice when I needed it so badly. And I want them to see that we made it, even when the world was against us. Even when we were against us. I want them to see what I am doing with my life, because it's completely different than when they left me. I want them to know how much I love them and think about them each and every day, and even more so, if possible, on these two days of the year. I want them to know how much I appreciate having two of the best angels in heaven on my shoulder, and I want them to know that I'm trying my hardest to make them proud. I want them to know that the legacy they have left behind helps me every day to be the best wife, mother, and person I can be. I want to mean as much to someone as they meant and still mean to me. At the end of the day, I think that's what we all really want. These two days are probably the hardest two days in the year for me. It brings me back to the days of visiting Papa in the hospital or Nana in the nursing home. I look back on the past and realize I would not have changed a thing. For every memory I have of seeing Papa in pain or helping in the home hospice process for Nana, I have greater memories of their hugs and kisses and the infinite love that they showed me. When you love someone so much, losing them is, is an exhausting and exhilarating experience all at once. It's emotionally exhausting. But it's exhilarating to know that they are no longer hurting and one day you will be together again. If you truly understood how hard it was for me to see them both sick as they were, you understand how happy I am that they are together and healthy. They were both such amazing people with never-ending love and passion for life and family. If I can even be an eighth of the women my nana was, I will be so incredibly successful. Between her and my own mother, I have had some of the best role models on being a good mother, wife, and woman. I see her giving nature and love for the world in my son. I want Christian to know how hardworking his great-grandfather was and to instill that work ethic in him early. I want him to realize how important family was to Papa and how important family should be to him. I see his sense of humor and love for building things in Christian. Most importantly, I want Christians to know that they are up in heaven advocating for him just as they would be on earth and that they love him with or without societal labels. I will always remember our last family dinner at Andrea's restaurant in Cudahy almost 15 years ago. It was my grandparents, my parents, my uncle, my brother, and I. The same seven had joined around the dinner table so many times in the past. If only we did one normal thing as a family, we ate dinner together at the table every night we could. This one, though, it was different. It was a joyous time with no discussions of ailments or heartaches. We truly enjoyed each other's company. I don't get to pass the restaurant very often, but each time I do... The memories flood my soul with overwhelming joy. Last year, I went to visit their crypt. I hadn't been there for some time, and I knew deep within my heart it was time. I remember just sitting cross-legged and looking up at their final resting place, just sobbing. 
I then felt this peace come over me. It was like they both let their presence be known and let me know that they could, they have never left and will never leave me. Nana, I miss your smile, which could pierce even the worst of my days. I miss the way you called me mouse. I miss our trips to the mall for pretzels and chatting. I miss the way only you could comfort me and let me know you were always there for me. Most of all, I miss you. Papa, I miss your amazing blue-gray eyes. I miss the times I could sit in your lap or by your feet and hear incredible stories. I miss your catchphrases and sayings and that belly laugh. Oh, do I miss that belly laugh. I miss the way you made me know you were so proud of me. Most of all, I miss you. And I love you both more than you'll ever know. I miss the years that were erased I miss the way the sunshine would light up your face I miss all the little things I never thought that they'd mean everything to me Yeah, I miss you Wouldn't I wish you Although Halloween isn't my favorite holiday, I can certainly get into the spirit. I love dressing up in witty or sassy costumes. There's nothing cuter than seeing children dressed up as their favorite character. And I can't say no to candy. These hips weren't produced by childbirth alone. I have noticed that Halloween is infinitely more fun with a child because you can see so much through their eyes. Pumpkin carving, apple picking, and costume hunting. It's just all so much more fun when you're with a kid. He can be the Emmett to your wild style. Being a parent takes patience, but being the parent of an autistic child can take even more than the required parental patience needed. At Halloween, this is no exception. In the midst of preparing for each Halloween, worry can consume me. What if he gets scared at a spider decoration? Will he wait his turn or be aggressive towards the other kids? What if someone yells at him to get off their lawn? Will that cause a meltdown? Will he listen when we tell him to stop at the corner? Will he get shy and not show any manners? Throughout the years, we've had some failures during trick-or-treating. We have had costumes that didn't even make it to the first house without being ripped off. We've had candy thrown at us because we didn't warn him about a rock that was in his way. 
The issue is that he can go from great to ghastly in T minus 20 seconds, and he can do it anywhere from his bedroom to church to a grocery store or even the middle of the street. To the naked eye, we're parents who can't control our child. As we sit there with him, rationalizing to avoid a meltdown, we look like two saps who can't discipline our kid. But we're not. And for each Halloween that hasn't gone so well, we have had some really great ones. My favorite so far was the year Christian went as Batman. During our excursion, we stopped at every single doorstop, regardless of if it had people sitting in the front yard with a bucket full of candy or if there was a sign that said no treats. He had to ring the doorbell himself at each house, regardless of if it was at his height or at his daddy's height, and he's 6'4". He had to stop and bring me leaf flowers from all of the lawns that weren't raked and handfuls of cool gravel made it into his bucket. He picked up rocks and examined them. I had to put his shoe back on at least five times because he was so enthralled by something that he tripped over his own two feet. Christian lined up pumpkins that were stacked and closed open mailboxes. He steered clear of cracks in the sidewalk that we hadn't even noticed, and he handed out Smarties to Blake and I based on colors. Going up and down our street took an hour and a half. During this time, I will admit I was frustrated and cold, at times. But each time I wanted to hurry him along, he made me forget all about it as he ran up to me with a chocolate treasure in his hand, exclaiming, Me did it, Mommy! As we dodged raindrops and waited at his doorstep where we knew no one was home, he wrapped his arms around Blake's and my necks and said, Love you, Mama and Dee Dee. That was worth everything in the world and then some. He was having a good time, and we were making memories that hopefully he will remember as much as I'd remember that one. My greatest treat was found at that house. And yes, there were parents who looked strangely as we let him throw a handful of gravel in his bucket, or as I waited in the rain for him to stand at a doorstop knocking on the door for an empty house. We got stares from people as he hit a rock that tripped him, or as he sorted his Smarties out by color on the ground. To those people, we are bad parents. But for those who know us, we are the best parents that we can be to our special little boy. Here are a few tips that we've discovered throughout the years that have made Halloween easier for our family. Reading Halloween stories or watching Halloween-themed episodes of our favorite Disney Junior shows helps prepare your children for what to expect on Halloween. Have them try their costume on early and often. If they don't like their costume, do not force it and talk to them about what they don't like. If they don't like the mask, don't make them wear it. If they don't like the feel of a certain material, have them put it on over their clothes. Practice the entire experience with them. We live in a multi-generational house, so there is no shortage of people to go up to. We practice trick-or-treat, knocking on doors, taking Canley nicely, and saying please and thank you. Stay in an area or neighborhood your child is comfortable in. Instead of taking him or her to many events in the area with lots of people, we choose to trick-or-treat in our neighborhood and go to the event at his school. More candy is not worth the excess stress. Wait until the clearance sales after the holiday. Know when to stop. Halloween should not be about the haul, but it should be about the experience. As the parent, you should know your child's triggers and warning signs for a meltdown. One more house 
may be the breaking point between cool to ghoul. On Facebook, there's also trick-or-treat card cutouts via the National Autism Association. Christian is very verbal, but these are a great resource for any family with a nonverbal autistic child. There's also one for your child if they go missing on Halloween. We'll be safety pinning that one to our little ninja this year. It's always better to be safe than sorry. I hope that your Halloween season is filled with no tricks and just treats. You're not going to miss this. There's a country song by Trace Adkins called You're Going to Miss This. I'd recommend this song to any new parent. I somehow blinked and have a second grader who has best friends who aren't me and who knows more about pop music than I do. You're going to miss this. You're going to want this back. You're going to wish these days hadn't gone by so fast. mohawk he had until his first haircut. I miss the little yodel before he began to cry. I miss the way his teddy bear went everywhere with him. I miss my baby. I miss him needing me to lay with him at night to fall asleep. I miss when Bumblebee sounded like Bunglebee and Optimus Prime sounded like Optimus Plime. I miss when he reached for my hand first. I miss my little boy at his littlest. I'm going to miss the face full of frozen yogurt telling me it's my turn to play a game I don't know the rules to across the table. I'm going to miss the way I can ask him for a kiss anywhere and he will happily oblige. I'm going to miss the way he looks over at me when he makes a good play in soccer and how his smile widens when he sees me happy. I'm going to miss my child as a child. Someday, he'll be sitting across from someone else on a frozen yogurt date. He won't want a kiss from me. He'll high-five his teammates and not look my way when he scores a goal. But for now, I love the way his face lights up when he tells me he had a good day at school. I love the way he giggles when I blow raspberries on his tummy. I love the way he snuggles with me for Saturday morning cartoons. I love my son. That's not going to change ever. Now before this gets mushier than an overripe banana, there are definitely things I will not miss. I will not 
miss the headbanging, which is my least favorite of his habits, especially at 2 o'clock in the morning. I will not miss meltdowns for no apparent reason that results in me crying myself. I will not miss filling out paperwork for everything and anything. Most of all, I know I'm not going to miss a moment of watching my little one grow. Parenting is truly a gift you receive each and every day of your life. Though there are some gifts, I would like to return or re-gift. I'll take the bad with the good. He is definitely a keeper. So, what do you miss? What will you miss? What do you love now? And what will you not miss? Give me a break. I've always been my own worst enemy. In school, I was the annoying one. Oh, you know the type. Who was the first to raise her hand when I was done with a project or to answer a question. I was that girl who might have worked up enough tears a few times to pull heartstrings. And that B plus into an A. I've always been the type to want to win or strive to be at the top of my game in whatever I do. You can bet I'm in it to win that game, whether it's a quick round of rock, paper, scissors to determine who is getting up from the dinner table to get a cup of chocolate milk, or a marathon session of Uno. At work, a good review isn't good enough. I want the best I can have, and I'm always seeking new projects. Needless to say, I expect the best from myself. I'm a type A perfectionist, to say the least. No one is harder on me than, well, me. In parenting, it's no different. When Christian comes home with a color note saying that he didn't have the best of days, I take it personally, almost like I had a yellow day, too. When I'm apologizing to another parent, whether she's my close friend or a mother I've never met and most likely will never see again, I feel like they're secretly judging my parenting. I am worse than a dog waiting for the mailman at church sometimes, perking my head up to each noise or movement during service, praying that our family code doesn't end up on the big screen. Last week, I performed the walk of shame back to the children's area because he got aggressive with another child. I could have sworn that everyone's stares were piercing me like a voodoo doll. While Christian was calming down and saying his goodbyes, I joked that I was taking their troublemaker home. One of the caregivers said to me that he was not a troublemaker. She exclaimed, when he is overwhelmed, he gets overwhelmed. She also recommended the very program I had submitted paperwork for a week ago, the one we're eagerly awaiting a response from. When she asked me what I thought, 
The look on my face apparently said it all. It was a mix of apologetic exhaustion and frazzled frustration. She squeezed my shoulder and said, he'll be just fine. As I walked towards the doors with Christian, I thought to myself, give me a break. A few steps later, I said aloud as Christian ran to his father, no, really, give me a break. The first time, admittedly, was a sarcastic jab at the fact that I knew what happened and her words didn't make me feel any better about having to leave group early, apologize to another parent, and lecture my son again on something he has trouble controlling. The second time, however, I had an epiphany. You know, a light bulb going off, heavens parting, birds chirping in perfect harmony, ah, epiphany. I'm doing the best I can with what I have to work with, and not every single day is going to be filled with sunshine and daisies. Sometimes you have to take the mud pies and thunderstorms as well. And regardless of if you want to or not, you have to like it. Why? Without the bad days, you cannot really appreciate the good. That's not just a lesson for parenting an autistic child, but that's a lesson for parenting in general. In my house, there's a rule called the five-year rule. My mom, who is one of the greatest parenting role models I could ever have, and I'm not just saying that because she listens to this, hi mom, has prioritized many a crisis or tragedy based off of this philosophy. Will anyone remember in five years that Christian's code appeared on the big screen once? Probably not. Will any of his friends remember that he hit them in five years? They actually seem to forget that he hit them the next day when they come up and give him a huge hug. In a little more self-serving light, will I remember the yellow days, the apologies, and the walks of shame in five years? I might, but I bet you that I will remember the car dance parties, the froyo dates, and the snuggle sessions a whole lot more. I might not always remember the five-year rule, especially in the midst of tearful meltdowns or tantric tantrums. I need to remind myself that with each meltdown or tantrum comes a lesson. Not for Christian, but for me. There are going to be those days that a yellow at school is the best you can do. There are going to be days when you kick and scream and pout until you get your way, which doesn't happen. Not every day is going to be the best day of my life. Without those bad days, however, it's hard to truly appreciate the good days. The days I don't have to apologize for his hitting are where he does fantastic at church. Perhaps the greatest lesson Christian could have taught me is to chill out a little. I should slow down and smell the roses once in a while. What am I really going to remember when he's 8, 10, 13, 16, or even 18? When I think of that answer, a quote by Robert Brault pops into my head. Enjoy the little things. For one day, you may look back and realize they were the big things. When I can't get out of my head that I snapped at him for no good reason, forget five years, he's forgotten all about that incident in five minutes. The two little arms around my neck and the sweet kisses on my cheek remind me that he can give me a break. Maybe I should do the same for myself.
take your best shot. Christian's life has always been well documented. My husband is notorious for taking pictures at every single event he attends. Christian's first 24 hours warranted its own Facebook album. With technology today, it's super easy to pull our phones out at any time and take a picture whenever we want. We can capture any moment, but there's just something special about a picture of your family that hasn't been taken in the selfie position. I'm still a sucker for traditional family photos. From picking out the location to coordinating our clothing in some way, I really enjoyed the process. I love getting our photos back, picking out the best ones, and designing a card to send to our friends and family across the country. The entire process really kicks off the holiday season to me. It helps me ease into what inevitably will be a crazy and chaotic couple of months. I was lucky enough to win a family photo shoot with an up-and-coming photographer who also happens to be one of my best friends. Having a photographer that you're comfortable with, especially when you have a special needs child, is important. Even if we didn't know Renee as well as we do, I think she would have instantly put Christian at ease with her warm personality and welcoming spirit. She was accommodating when he didn't want to pose a certain way or when he picked up grass and did pose with that. When he had enough of the shoot, she understood and even said that we could try again someday. I was so excited when I saw the sneak peek that I totally forgot about the pictures I wanted to take but didn't get a chance to. Underneath the sneak peek appeared a picture which had to be kismet. It reminded me of our afternoon and when we got the pictures back I could match the pictures up perfectly with the different parts of this saying. Life is like a camera. Focus on what is important. Capture the good times. Develop from the negatives. And if things don't work out, take another shot. I'm not going to remember the meltdown. I'm going to remember Christian's dimples. I'm going to remember Blake's arms wrapped tight around my waist. I'm going to remember the kisses on my cheek that almost knocked me off the bale of hay I was sitting on. I'm going to remember smiling next to the man I pledged my life to and thinking how glad I was that our love was truly fireproof. I may always see the size tag on Blake's jeans and a picture of us walking hand in hand and cringe, but one of my greatest friends reassured me and helped reason the small error. She said that it shows how imperfect and rushed we all can be, but being with family is what matters. When I see these pictures, my heart is filled with joy, not just because they represent the family that I've been blessed with, but also because they represent a second chance. Renee and I were the best of friends in middle school, and teenage angst and drama took away our friendship towards the end of high school. We lost out on a lot in those few years that we were disconnected, weddings, deaths, and births, but fate brought us back to each other. I am now lucky to have her back in my life, and even luckier than my son, has her two boys as two of his friends. We were able to pick up our friendship up right where it left off. I can't imagine not having her beautiful spirit in my life to laugh and cry with, to bake with, and to sit across from the table with me as we watch our boys play. Life works in mysterious ways, but you always have to take your best shot. Renee has graciously allowed me to host a giveaway on her behalf. She is offering one winner an 11 by 14 metal print of a photo she takes during a photo shoot scheduled with her. The photo shoot is at cost to the recipient, but the metal print holds a $75 value. 
I highly recommend Renee's work and know that she can help you capture fantastic family memories as she did for us. To win, you have to follow just two easy steps. Go visit her Facebook page, Renee Matthews Portraits, and give it a like. Then come to the blog on Metro Parent Magazine and leave a comment telling me where you would love to have your family photos taken. I will choose a winner at random next Monday, 11 16 15. I will verify that they've completed both steps and will reveal who it is in my next post. This way, you'll have plenty of time to plan your photo shoot and have time for those pictures to be part of your Christmas cards and gifts. Good luck! An attitude of gratitude. With the abundance of Thanksgiving posts on all of social media, I feel inclined to write a similar post. However, I just can't help but getting the feeling that I'm writing a report for school. How I'll spend my Thanksgiving vacation by Mandy Riley. No thanks. What I'm thankful for this year by Amanda Riley. Too cliche. I could go ahead and tell you that I'm thankful for Diet Coke and my iPhone, DVR and flat knee high boots that fit my God-given large calf, which in a strange way I am also thankful for. In reality, a post like that could be very comical, especially if you could see how many boots I've had to try on, how I function without my beloved caffeinated product of choice, or how upset I get when my favorite show did not record. Although humorous, it defeats the real reason for the season. So instead, I could be a bit more philosophical and state all of the non-material things that I'm thankful for teachers who care about my son almost as much as I do, a husband who is my other half, my son whose laugh lightens my darkest day, family that constantly shows me the meaning of true support, and friends who are my guiding light. Posts like this, unfortunately, can be a dime a dozen and get lost in the midst of Black Friday finds, pictures of turkey feasts, and tales of searches for the perfect Christmas tree. I promise that there's a point to all of this, so without further ado, the main idea of my metaphorical report. What I am most thankful for is thankfulness throughout the year. I completely understand the meme posts of stating one thing you're thankful for each day in November. I've done it in the past years myself. One can blanket exclaim to your entire friends list on Facebook that you're thankful for them on Thanksgiving. But what about the other 364 days of the year? Unfortunately, it seems that we can leap right from Halloween costumes and Reese's pumpkins to Christmas stockings and Reese's trees. I'm all for picking out on the nearest peanut butter and chocolate delight, but we're missing out on something huge. I understand that Thanksgiving isn't necessarily a decorator's paradise, but do not skip it altogether. In between Halloween and Christmas, 
we seem to find time to scarf down some turkey and throw a few haphazard thankful hashtags out there. And you can't forget Black Friday sales that dipped into a holiday about family and togetherness. Thanksgiving is getting the shaft, and more importantly, gratitude and thankfulness are getting ignored too. How can we go from breaking bread with the people we love to pepper spraying a fellow shopper all in the matter of hours? On Thanksgiving, we hold hands with the people we love and give thanks. The day after, or even later that day on Thanksgiving, we throw elbows and fight over that must-have item. The greatest gift you can give yourself, and especially your children, is an attitude of gratitude. The words thank you were some of the first words that Christian said and can even be accused of being overused in my house. Graciousness is a vital trait and one that my husband and I wanted to instill in our son as soon as possible. I don't care if he's given a penny or a $100 bill, though I would love if he were given the latter. Either way, I want Christian to be thankful for each. Pennies do add up with enough time and patience. At our church, we are told that our presence, no matter the size, is welcomed. We are challenged to have an attitude of gratitude and keep it throughout the year. It seemed to work for us thus far. 2015 has not been the best year for my family, but we are thankful for everything that has happened. I know what you're thinking. How can we be thankful for all the bad that's happened? Let me explain. My parents and brother were involved in a car accident that totaled their car, but they were able to walk away remarkably unscathed. Money is tight, but we have everything we need and even a few things that we want. There have been meltdowns and arguments, illnesses and ailments, frustrations and tears, but we have gotten through it together and came out stronger on the other side. Now believe me, I'm not always a glass-is-half-full kind of girl. I break down a lot. I'm still trying to make the pieces of our budget fit while getting rid of some of the debt that feels like a huge boulder on my shoulders. There are times that the blessing of a child with autism becomes too much. But I found out that having an attitude of gratitude can make all the difference. When I'm thankful, the positive energy helps. I find ways to make things work instead of dwelling on, not, on what is not working. There are many days I need to remind myself of what I do have instead of focusing on what I'm missing. Thanksgiving may be a season or a holiday, but thankfulness should stick around all year. The four gift rule. I remember Christian's first Christmas like it was yesterday, even though he doesn't remember it at all. I remember going to Toyland on opening weekend and filling a cart up with toys that were, 
for all intents and purposes, frivolous and unnecessary. We had no budget and spent far too much time wrapping the presents we were inevitably going to unwrap ourselves. But my baby only gets a first Christmas once, right? Let me reiterate that he doesn't remember it. At all. Christian's second and third Christmases were a little better because we gave ourselves a budget. But we thought that the number of packages under the tree determined what kind of Christmas he was going to have. So we skimped on quality and got him things that weren't well made or well thought out. To be honest, it didn't matter what he got because the boxes were the big hit those years. When it came time for Christian's fourth Christmas, we decided to do something a little different. I'd seen this thing floating around on Facebook about the four gift rule, and it intrigued me. He would get four presents from Santa, and each would follow their own category. He'd get something he wanted, something he needed, something for him to wear, and something for him to read. I don't even remember what we got him that year, but the pressure was off once we got those four things, and he enjoyed each of his gifts. This will be our fourth year following the rule, and our major shopping is already done. He'll be getting sick bricks, his toy du jour at the moment, Star Wars and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle phonics books, a Pikachu winter hat, and a card game to help him control his emotions. Those things are from Santa. We've also got a good handle on stocking stuffers for both St. Nick and Christmas Day from Mama and Dee Dee. He gets lots of other things from friends and family, so he's not hurting by any means. He's definitely one blessed or spoiled child. To avoid overly spoiling him, we also make sure to give back whenever possible. When we go to Dollar Tree, which is a lot during the holidays, we always add a non-perishable food item, school supply, or toy for their drive. We adopt two families via the giving tree at my work and make sure they are taken care of for the holidays. We make sure that we donate bags of food for the food drives at work and school. We volunteer our time to events such as the gift market at church or breakfast with Santa at his school. We talk about the reasons we give to other people. And most of the time I feel like it's going in one ear and out the other. But when Christian gave up his last quarter to drop in the Salvation Army red bucket yesterday instead of getting another gumball, I knew that we were influencing him in the right way. I'm proof that it's so easy to get wrapped up in giving an abundance of gifts with pretty ribbons and bows. With those gifts come great responsibilities in terms of waste and debt. We have found something that has worked for our family. It has saved us money, stress, and the last bit of sanity that my husband and I have left. I challenge you to try the four gift rule and see if it works for yours. May you and yours have a blessed Thanksgiving filled with good food and even better company. Enjoy the sales or extra sleep that the weekend affords you as able.
Dear Santa, Dear Santa, Christian talks about you non-stop starting in mid-October. He wants to know what your favorite cookies are, how the weather is in the North Pole, and just how many toys you can fit on your sleigh. He wonders how you'll get in our house without a chimney and how you'll find the children who don't live in homes. He asks how the reindeer are doing, especially Rudolph, and how they stay warm during your trip. He wants to know the best way to send you his list and how you know if he's been naughty or nice. Christian has never been scared of you personally, as you can always bring a smile to his face. He gets excited when he sees you on TV at the end of the Thanksgiving parade because he knows it's your time to shine now. I can threaten your appearance at our house on December 24th if he's being naughty, but he knows you always pull through for him. He loves to sing songs about you in the car with me, but only starting the day after Thanksgiving. He knows that you've sell sent Elphis Presley, our elf on the shelf, to watch over him and make sure he's being as good as can be. Christian has turned Christmas Eve into one of his most favorite routines. We come home from church and eat one of his favorite foods, spaghetti. He then searches for that last gift that Elphis leaves him, which is always a new pair of pajamas. We then work on the letter to you, which is always filled with crumbs from the cookies he eats along the way. We fill up a platter with cookies for you and carrots for your reindeer friends and head to the couch until he falls asleep watching Christmas, Christmas specials and dreaming of sugar plums and your arrival. I just want you to know all of this so you're not offended if he has a meltdown near you this year when we visit you for breakfast with Santa at his school next Saturday. As I'm sure you know, Mr. Claus, Christian has ADHD and autism. Do you remember last year? It was touch and go there for a while because he wanted it to be just you, him, and the photographer in the library. No one really understood, but you and I did, and that's all that mattered. As your gloved hand grabbed mine and told me everything would be all right, I felt a wave of calmness rush over me. I remember asking him on the way home why he didn't want anyone in the room myself included, and he told me that it was his special moment with you. I'm not sure what you two talked about, but he walked out of that room with the biggest smile on his face, holding the bag of goodies you gave him. He wouldn't tell me what he asked for, but I'm guessing you pulled through for him. As I got the picture back of you and him in his Wednesday folder, the way you held him tight and the smiles on your faces ensured me that you definitely pulled through for him. I do know one thing that you told him, and it brought tears to my eyes when you told me about it. You told him to be a good boy, but you further specified what you meant. You told him that you know he's special and to try really hard because you know it can be difficult sometimes for him to sit still or pay attention or hold his emotions in. But then you told him that you know he's a boy with a good heart and full of love and that you were proud of him. Santa, you couldn't have said it any better. Thank you, Santa, for always pulling through for Christian, for clearing out the room so that my boy could have his moment with you, for understanding that all children deserve to have that special moment with you, regardless of their special needs, for being as magical and wonderful in real life as you are in his dreams, for bringing that smile to his face, the smile that will be forever ingrained in my memories as the most beautiful smile I've ever seen, for bringing the pep to his step, no matter what time it is, 
as he drags me down the stairs on Christmas morning to see what you've brought him. One day, he'll stop believing in you, and it will be one of my saddest days as a parent. But until then, I'm going to soak up every moment. Thank you for making all of those moments possible. Sincerely, one grateful mommy. P.S. Chocolate chip or sugar this year? Holiday Survival Guide Every year, as I eat my cold turkey sandwich, I realize that everyone who went out on Black Friday is further ahead on their Christmas shopping than I am, and silently, or not so silently, freak out. Having a type A personality, which we've already discussed, getting behind before I've even started is truly one of my worst nightmares. I luckily married the yin to my yang, a man who is the positivity to my negativity or realism, as I call it, and the bright side to my cloudiest of days. He keeps me in check and lets me know that we can get it all done together in due time, and that there will be no ill effects if a card or package doesn't make it exactly on Christmas Eve. He's the God bless us everyone to my bah humbug. Now don't get me wrong, I love Christmas time. There is something about the season that is truly magical. Decorating Christmas trees, seeing the candlelight vigil at church, strolling through the lighted streets in a heated car, and sipping hot chocolate while eating a cookie right out of the oven is pure bliss. For each Hallmark moment, however, there is a matching holiday horror. Gathering all the addresses for Christmas cards, as well as addressing and labeling them, dodging elbows in the checkout line, cleaning up a flowery and sticky cookie mess, and painstakingly wrapping gift after gift only to watch them being ripped to shreds. Someone once said about Thanksgiving that it only takes 15 minutes to devour a day's worth of work. Christmas is the same way, except it takes longer to prepare and less to go through it. Let's not forget that there's a good chance we can sprinkle a little snow on top of it all. Let's face it, we're all trying to survive the holidays. Here's my personal survival guide to getting through December in one piece. My Planner I'm old school when it comes to organization. You can have your apps and your Apple Watches. Give me a pencil and one of those paper planners from the dollar spot at Target. Now that I've found one that fits in my purse, I find myself planning my entire days out. It is so easy to forget where you need to be and when when you're being pulled in every direction at once. Take some time to plan ahead. Diet Coke. It doesn't have to be Diet Coke, but it's often my drink of choice. Yes, it's bad for me. No, I don't care. I like the bubbles. I like the caffeine. Occasionally, I'll allow myself a peppermint mocha from Starbucks or an adult beverage or two or three. But the key here is to treat yourself to whatever you like regardless of the consequences. It is so easy to forget that during this season, 
but pull, putting yourself first once in a while will help you deck the halls with a smile on your face. Netflix. As I've stated previously, my son has gotten his binge-watching habits from me. This year, I've watched How I Met Your Mother, Friends, and Orange is the New Black. I'm currently working my way through Scrubs. Sometimes it's nice to get away from the hustle and bustle. The jingling of bells. Escape reality for a few minutes and take a break. The elliptical. This goes along with Netflix as I find myself watching JD, Turk, and the gang on the elliptical when I go to the gym. This year has been the first full year when fitness has been a priority for me. I took the week of Thanksgiving off of working out and I felt that my body was craving it. When I work out, I feel stronger and have more energy. Energy is something you can't have enough of this time of year. Nail polish. It's my one girly vice, but sometimes a girl just needs to feel pretty. Whether it's doing your nails like me, curling your hair, or spending the extra few minutes to perfect your cat eye, take time to look your best. Yes, it's so much more comfortable to throw your hair in a ponytail and bust out that worn pair of yoga pants, but taking that little bit of initiative, sometimes, not all the time, does help. Giving to others. While making your Christmas list and checking it twice, it is so easy to forget that the real season, reason for the season. The true meaning of Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Christ, this incredible act of love. Being a follower of Christ, I've been asked to think of what love requires of me. To me, love means to give to those who are less fortunate, and my family makes sure we do our best to make some kind of an impact. There will be a little girl with a bracelet making kit and a little boy with a remote control car on Christmas Day. Please and thank you. Those two words are often overlooked but are so incredibly important. If someone opens a door for you, say thank you. Say please when you ask the waiter or barista for your food or drink. It's truly incredible how simple words could change someone's entire day because their job can be thankless or they could feel unappreciated. They really are the magic words. Hugs. Have you ever had a bad day and the only cure was to be hugged really tight? My husband is the best at hugging the grumpiness out of me, as well as cracking a few vertebrae along the way. Hugs and or kisses, any sign of affection, are the cheapest and easiest ways to let someone know that you truly care. The thought. The thought really is what counts. My favorite gifts aren't necessarily the biggest or most expensive, but they are the ones that show someone that they thought of me and me only. They're the colored pasta necklaces made for me by my little guy or the mixed CDs or Spotify playlists that my husband spends hours on making sure each song is perfect. In a world filled with commercialism and a never-ending case of the gimmies, sometimes we have to think of what really is important. My tribe. Without my crazy but loving family, my closest friends who get my quirks, the co-workers I see more than anyone, my handsome handful, and everyone in between, I am truly nothing. Our tribes, those who we hold close, are part of the reason why the holiday season is so fun. Let's not forget that our presence is present enough for those we care about, and not to forget in the midst of wrapping and baking that we are doing these things out of love for each other. What helps you to get through the holidays?
The gift market. I will be the first to admit that I'm having a hard time getting into the Christmas spirit this year. Although the 60 degree temperatures are a pleasant surprise and I'd rather drive in rain than snow, it just doesn't feel like Christmas time. I've kind of been going through the motions thus far. Ordering cards? Check. Picking out gifts? Check. Filling goodie bags for breakfast with Santa at school? Check. Choosing a name from the giving tree at work? Check. Making teacher gifts? Saying Merry Christmas with a smile? Changing the channel on another Hallmark Christmas movie? Ho, ho, ho. I mean, check, check, check. When I signed up to work the gift market at my church, I honestly had no idea what I had signed myself and my mother up for. I just knew it was part of a serving period called Live Big at Church, where our goal was to serve 1,001 hours as a church. I knew it sounded like a good opportunity to give back, spend a day with my mother, and get to know some people from my church. Saturday provided me with all of that, but also so much more. It helped me get into not only the Christmas spirit, but helped me realize what true Christmas spirit is all about. It turned out that the gift market was an event at a West Milwaukee, West Dallas school, where 75% of the student population qualifies for free lunch, which is an indicator of poverty. The principal spoke to the almost 50 volunteers before the event began and told us that she is often asked for food and clothing for her students. She said that there were families that would not be attending the event today due to transportation or housing issues. It really put into perspective what the point of today was. We were helping parents provide Christmas for their children. We also just wanted to love these families and let them know that they are cared about. Our church had gifts donated and purchased gifts, and the point of the event was to help low-income parents provide Christmas with dignity for their children. They came and dropped their children off with volunteers who did crafts with them while their parents shopped. Their parents entered the gym, which was truly turned into Santa's workshop. Two rows of tables were filled with Barbies, Legos, sports balls, board games, and other toys that parents could choose from for their children. Each parent received two tickets per child and then went to the checkout line. They got a hand up to help pay for the toys and gifts rather than getting a hand out. Each gift cost the parents $2. They were then able to get the gifts wrapped and sneak them off to their car before picking up their children. Once they picked up their children, they enjoyed hot cocoa and cookies and a picture by a Christmas tree. I volunteered to help fill the tables with gifts, making sure that each parent was able to choose from a wide variety of toys. I also helped parents as their personal shopper. My mom helped out with the checkout process. We had to begin a half hour early as families showed up, but we were all so excited and ready to go. There were parents holding letters from Santa as they searched for that perfect present for their children. I loved helping parents find the perfect gifts for their little girls, but I found out that though I can tell you what Lego Chima is from Lego Ninjago, that I have no idea what a Shopkins is. It was so much fun to help parents with children my son's age find something that I know they would love to receive. On a selfish note, it made me realize how lucky my family and I are. Christian will not be disappointed when he wakes up on Christmas morning, but he is so very blessed every day. He is always warm, full, and taken care of. There are so many children, not in just our area, but in the world, who do not have basic necessities, let alone any luxuries. The entire point of Live Big is to make sure that we are serving and loving others with no expectations, as God did for us. We wanted to make sure others feel like they are loved unconditionally with no strings attached. And Saturday, 
we did just that. On Saturday, we sold about 400 gifts at the school, meaning 200 children will be able to open gifts on Christmas Day. I hope that each one of them can feel the love that went into their receiving those gifts. $800 will go to the school and help them further provide for those families. There were extra gifts and teachers were able to shop for their classrooms. The principal picked out balls and games that they could use for their after-school program. A box of leftover gifts was saved for members of our church family who needed assistance, and more were donated to an organization who gives toys to urban churches to use for Christmas Eve services. The most amazing thing is while we were doing this at one school on Saturday, there was another team at another school doing the same thing. We were able to serve twice as many families and provide twice the Christmas cheer. A couple asked where all the volunteers came from and were surprised when I said we were from a church. They said nothing like this has ever happened for them, and they were excited that they would be able to give Christmas to their children. Another woman came up to us and thanked us because she would have otherwise not been able to provide gifts for her children. There were so many smiles and words of appreciation that warmed my heart. We worked with the school staff, who were many of our gift wrappers, and formed a real partnership with the school. This was the first time our church held this event, but I know it won't be the last. I've already signed up for next year, and I want to be even more involved. I came home tired that afternoon, but filled with more Christmas cheer than ever. We put up the tree that afternoon, and I finished compiling our Christmas cards that evening. After the first of the Christmas messages at church, I did a little more Christmas shopping, and Christian and I built a gingerbread house. This week, I'll be busy getting gifts ready for his teachers and the camp staff at his school. I bought cookies for him to share with his classmates. At work, we're just beginning the holiday fun as well, but I'm no longer going through the motions. Christmas is my favorite time of year, and my son is only this little once. It's time to embrace the magic and the chaos and to deck the halls as much as I can. Mom, for the holidays. I was supposed to be sitting in the pews along with all of the other proud parents, snapping pictures and smiling ear to ear as my son sang Dressed Like a Lion in the Church Christmas program. Instead, he sat on my lap in the back while I imagined what the new normal will be in my life and mourned what could have been and what never was. In that moment, I quickly realized how isolating and lonely being a special needs mom was. That was four years ago. Christian was three, and it was our first Christmas after his diagnosis. In these four years, I've learned so much about my amazing son. I've learned how to be the best parent I can be to him and for him, though that definition is always changing. I've learned how to advocate for him, because I've also learned that if I don't, 
no one else will. I've learned that we will lose friends based on his diagnosis, even those we never thought we would. Family would turn their backs on us as well. Most importantly, we learned that we are not isolated and we are not alone. If I could go back, I would tell myself that everything would be fine. No Christmas is ever as perfect as it is in the movies. Hallmark Christmases are a fallacy that we want to believe could come true. There will be days that we forget to move the elf. There will be tears on Santa's lap. There will be Christmas programs gone badly, versions of Christmas carols that should never be sung, and tantrums over the last cookie. Part of being a mother, special needs or not, is adapting to whatever situation our children throw at us. It's baking dozens of cookies at 9 p.m. for our child's class the next day, even though we only found out as we tucked them into bed. It's running into crowds for the one toy that Christmas just wouldn't be Christmas without as the last one slips by our fingers. It's politely asking a room filled with people to leave so that our child can have their moment with Santa without a meltdown. Mothers are superwomen, and during the holidays, we add a little extra sparkle to our cape and throw on a Santa hat to match. The newly released anthology, Mom for the Holidays, is filled with stories of love, laughter, and tantrums during the holiday season. A lifelong dream of mine was fulfilled when my story about that day four years ago was chosen by Lisa Nolan to be part of this book. I was even more honored as I read through the stories. I couldn't believe that my piece was chosen to be in the same book as some of these. I laughed, I cried, I realized I wasn't alone. That is my wish for anyone else struggling through the rain and the lack of Christmas spirit this year. I pray that stories within will make you laugh and make you cry, but most importantly make you realize that you are not alone. There are other mothers who are soaring through the struggles to ensure the best holiday season possible for their families. Every one of the stories in this anthology promises you that we are here, together. That's the power of social support on Hanukkah, Christmas, and every other day of the year. I am proud to be a contributor to this collection of writings on the true meaning of mothering during the holiday season. Please check out Mom for the Holidays, which is available via Amazon. And although we live in different parts of the world, in different houses, and we have different shoe styles, we have one common thread. We are all moms for the holidays. Christmas through your eyes. Christmas was quite unusual for my family this year. After a bout of double bacterial pneumonia left one of our own in the hospital for Christmas week, we were forced to be creative and flexible in our plans. We had to find the balance in keeping family traditions alive and keeping the Christmas magic intact for Christian, who was so into the season this year. 
After a lot of debate and going back and forth, we had finally decided that Santa would visit Christmas Eve still, but our family Christmas and lasagna would wait until my mother was home. We still went to Candy Cane Lane after church, still watched A Christmas Story and the sequel we found flipping through channels on Christmas Day, and still left cookies and milk for Santa and carrots for the reindeer. But we also made Christmas decorations for our hospital room, brought cookies and my father-in-law's famous breadsticks to mom, and made numerous calls to nurses for a status. I was honestly worried about how Christian would take the change in Christmas that he knows and loves. I took him out the Tuesday before Christmas, the same day that my mother was admitted to the hospital and at her worst, and sat with him at a dinner, a dinner that she was supposed to come with us to. I explained to him as candidly as I could what was happening and that Christmas would not be routine this year. It would be different. His response left me speechless. Of course we will wait, Mama. Christmas is family. There are so many times as a parent that I worry I'm doing everything incorrectly. This was one time I knew I had done something right. A change in routine can throw so much off for him, but he took this in stride and with a maturity I've never seen. He didn't ask once where his presents were from his grandparents or uncles or his dad and I. He genuinely asked how his grandma was doing and even asked to visit her in the hospital, where he was the best caretaker I could have ever asked for. In fact, his cuddles cured her, and she came home miraculously the next day, a week after she entered the hospital. I knew that she would be home when I pulled into the driveway, and that got me through driving in that horrific storm last week. I told Christian I had a surprise for him when he got home, but I think he knew. When we were a block away from our house, he asked me if it would be a Christmas miracle if his nunna was home. I told him it definitely would be, and it was. If I weren't still shaking in fear from the drive home, I would have cried when I saw them embrace. This Christmas was definitely a different one for my multi-generational household. Our Christmas lasagna turned into New Year's Eve lasagna, and we opened gifts on December 30th. But we were together, and that is all that mattered at that moment. I received some lovely gifts, but there were two that meant the most to me. The first was having my mother, who is my rock and inspiration, back home. The second was being able to see Christmas through my son's eyes. Gloria Estefan sings a song I, that I'd never truly understood until this year called Christmas Through Your Eyes. I'd always liked the song, but this year it was on repeat. Till I had you, I didn't know that I was missing you. children are all about toys and possessions. I think that my son can be like that too. Just when you think you have your child or any child figured out, they always do something to surprise you. They don't get scared when Santa pops his head into the car at Candy Cane Lane. They make you the most beautiful picture frame at church because you were sad they didn't make anything at school. 
they grab your hand looking at the Christmas lights when Ollie Home for Christmas is about to make you cry. They remind you what Christmas is all about. Christmas is family. Investment of a lifetime. Mommy guilt is real, y'all. And if you're a working mother like me, mommy guilt hits you as soon as you punch out for the day and you're not with your child. I see my coworkers more than I see my son, so it's hard for me to reason with myself to spend even more time away from him for whatever reason. I signed up to audition for Listen to Your Mother the first year Milwaukee had a show. I had my piece ready and was ready to go. It was a cold February morning, and Christian and I both woke up with stuffy noses and sore throats. I probably could have taken a few DayQuil and made the audition, but I just didn't want to leave him, even though I was hit with a twinge of sadness every time I saw a post about the show or how great the cast was. I realized it was fate. Coming from a background in forensics during both middle school and high school, I think there are really traces of public speaking in my blood. I realized that I missed being on stage, having my voice heard, and that feeling of accomplishment as the applause hugged me like a familiar stranger. As soon as I saw Alexandra's post about auditions the following year, I knew I needed to take action. Not just sign up for an audition, but I knew I had to go this year and give it a shot. I needed to do this for myself because I was missing that side of me. Or maybe I was missing myself in general. Mommy guilt isn't only real, it's the leading cause of mommy burnout. In between the bills, the work to pay the bills, the pickups, the drop-offs, and the trips to the grocery store, it's hard to remember that we had an identity before mother. I could tell that it was time for me to be a little selfish and to follow this path wherever it led me because it was an investment in me. I had been withdrawing from the bank of me for so long that it was time to deposit something. I was able to write my piece in less than an hour. I knew exactly what story I wanted to tell and how to tell it. Honestly, I didn't even practice it before my audition because I wanted to be fresh and raw. Sure, the story was about my son, but the voice that it gave me was all my own. I came out of that audition knowing I had done something for myself and it felt so good. Of course I wanted to make the cast, but I knew if I hadn't that there was a little more pep in my step. When I got the email stating that I made the cast, I was ecstatic. Mommy Gilt came out of the trenches again, however, as there would be practices and rehearsals, but I quickly squelched those emotions. This would be something that I would remember for the rest of my life and something that I could show him in the future. It might not be a trophy like I'd earn at a forensics meet, but it was a badge of pride and honor that we could both wear. As I drove away from Alverno, after our Listen to Your Mother show that evening, I let the comments from the audience permeate my soul. 
I also clearly remember finding a nickel on the ground, bathed in sunshine, a sign from my beloved Nana that I had done something good and that she was proud of me. It was amazing how I could have touched that many people with my story about a craft store trip gone awry. I knew that I had wanted to make more of an impact. Without listening to your mother, I don't know if I would have had the courage to put my writing out there. I know that without listening to your mother, I wouldn't have been published on or in Mama Load, Autism Parenting Magazine, Metro Parent Magazine, or Women's World. I don't think I would have re-entered the world of blogging and taken it as seriously as I am this time. I made an investment in myself, and it really has made a world of difference. It makes me a better version of myself, which makes me a better mother. Thank you, Listen to Your Mother. Thank you for giving me the platform to tell my story. Do you believe in magic? I do. Good for you, not for me. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter. Martin Luther King Jr. spoke many wise words, and we will see most of them on social media on Martin Luther King Day and throughout that week. But these words were just what I needed. I've gotten so many kind words and responses from others, but I've received my first negative comment on a blog post. For some reason, that one negative comment keeps replaying in my mind, overshadowing all of the positive. It's clear that you don't view your son as your child, but just another child with autism. I don't know what makes you an expert. I've never claimed to be an expert on any type of parenting. In fact, I claim to be the exact opposite. I'm an unpaid volunteer who writes because I enjoy it. Most of the time, I have no clue what I am doing. I am just like most of the people who read this, a parent of a child who considers any day they remain alive a silent victory. I'm just one mother of one child who happens to have special needs. What works for us may not work for everyone else. I'm not saying that our way is the best way, but it's the best way for us. The commenter then went into detail about what types of things they were doing that made my parenting incorrect and unimportant, which made me feel about an inch tall. At the end of the day, we all must remember that motherhood, or parenthood in general, is not a competition. Whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, whether you use disposable or cloth diapers, whether you work full-time or stay at home, whether you send your child to private or public school, whether you allow screen time or not, their lives are not for our own personal rivalries. If it's good for you, it might not be for me. If it's good for us, it might not be good for you. But both ways get us the same result, happy and healthy children. So I'll do what's right for us 
You do what's right for you. But let's remember that we're on the same team. Let's replace judgment with support. How can we be a good example for our children if we're not exemplifying the example day in and day out? One thing that we should never do as parents is to question how we view or love our child. If you truly know me, you know that my son is my world. He's my heart and soul and everything I do, I do for him. This blog is just a small portion of our life and I don't share everything. My son is not just another child with autism or special needs. And if anything, that is why I'm writing this blog. He's my child and I am so proud of him for all that he has done and has yet to do. He's my reason for writing. I want him to look back on this one day and know that his mama was never ashamed of him for being different. At the same time, if I can provide a glimmer of hope or inspiration for a family, that's fantastic. We are one family of many throughout the United States with different stories and perspectives on life. And this, this all is what matters to me, so I can't and won't be silent about our life. And our life may not be perfect. It's far from it, actually. Every story may not have a happy ending, but our story is my favorite. All the small things. Man, do the little things pile up. One negative comment, one extra project, one shortened deadline, one tummy ache, one stupid argument, one unexpected bill, one broken nail, one out of order sign, one longer line, one more red light. Sure, none of these things seem too bad on their own, but when we focus on the negative, they seem to grow into a large cloud to reign over our entire parade. They are all we talk about when we discuss our day and we can think about when we fall asleep at night. One day after another of these and we can easily find ourselves worn down and worn out. It's easier to focus on the negative which sends us onto a sick cycle carousel spiraling out of control. I admit I can be guilty of this which leads me to take things out on those I love the most. My son didn't cause the light to turn red and my husband didn't put up the out-of-order sign. But for some reason, they get the brunt of all of those small things. They get the cranky and tired me at the end of the day. They get the leftovers of my coworkers and fellow commuters. It's not fair to them at all, especially when they are my reason for smiling so often. At the end of the day, it's best to ditch the negative and stop allowing all of that to live rent-free in our souls and to remember the positive. It's not always easy but it's rejuvenating. Those are the things that day in and day out will fuel your soul and make you remember why you're alive in the first place. 
an extra kiss on the forehead, a reach for my hand in the car, that last smile before he drifts off to sleep, a warmed-up car, a pink gumball, a cold soda left for me in the fridge, an unexpected hug while I cook, a stolen loving glance, the offer for a stuffed animal to help me feel better, a text message on his break. Robert Brault once said to enjoy the little things in life, for one day you'll look back and realize they were the big things. Man, do the little things pile up. Rolling with the punches. My day was good, Mama. We had a concert. I got up on stage and sang two songs with my class. I wish you could have been there, but I know you had to work. He looked up at me, smiled, and then went back to his Minecraft world as my heart simultaneously swelled with pride and broke to a tiny million pieces. The reason I didn't go had nothing to do with work. We'd gotten the flyer about the multicultural concert at his school in several Wednesday folders, and I could have taken an extended lunch or the afternoon off. I didn't go because I remember what happened last time there was a concert at his school. I'd taken the afternoon off for the holiday program last year and herded myself into a packed gymnatorium, which is a technical term, with my mother and uncle to see the children jingle their bells and deck the halls. When the first graders hit the stage, I looked for my favorite and couldn't find him. I quickly got out of my seat and headed towards the front, where I found him sitting against the wall with his teacher. She told me that he had stage fright, and they weren't going to force him up there, which I definitely appreciated. I slid down next to him, and he curled up on my lap and sang the song in my ear, in between telling me how sorry he was that he couldn't go up there. He said that it was just too many people that he didn't know, in between verses of whatever holiday tune he was singing to me. I reassured him and sent him back to sit with his class when their performance was done. I was proud that he knew his limits and was able to verbalize them calmly. I was thankful that the teachers understood and gave him the space he needed. I knew that this time I didn't want to put any extra pressure on Christian. I didn't want to think, I didn't want him to think he had to apologize for being himself like last time. He hadn't mentioned the concert, so for all I knew, his class wasn't even taking part in it. But I have no clue why I didn't ask him about it. He has grown up a lot in the past year picture him on stage beaming with self-pride and searching for a familiar face but not finding one that's what tugs at my heart something fierce i told him i was super proud of him but i wasn't there to show him i advocate for my boy with all of my being and then did the very thing i tell the world not to do i underestimated my child dinner tasted like a big plate of crow that night and i felt like the worst mother I guess I'm writing this to let you know I'm real. My cape is quite often at the cleaners to repair the tears 
and to clean the caked on stains of disappointment and mistakes. Sometimes my badge of honor falls off and I lose sight of what's really important as I search for it. Years from now, he's probably not going to remember that I wasn't at that concert. But I'll remember. Being a mother is a constant struggle between trying to live in the moment and reliving moments. Most moms will remember all the things they've done wrong as a black mark on their proverbial mommy report card, but they forget that they've done so much more good along the way. It's a battle between kicking yourself down while lifting your child up. What we tend to forget is that we need to lift ourselves up as well. We need to forgive ourselves for making mistakes and to learn from them the very same thing that we preach to our children. We know and embrace that they aren't perfect, but we expect it from ourselves. I'm not perfect. None of us are. If we were perfect, life would be boring. We are constantly growing and adapting and changing, just like our children. Sometimes we should take a page from their book and learn to roll with the punches. I'll roll my way right into his next concert and into a seat towards the front so that when he looks into the crowd that he'll see me and show him how proud I am of him. things I hate about you. It's time for us to talk, dear husband of mine. Our 10th wedding anniversary was on Thursday, and there are just a few things I need to get off my chest. There are so many things wrong with you that it was hard to narrow it down to 10, but this was something I had to do. Knowing is half the battle, and now I feel like you can work on these things to better yourself. Here are just 10 things I hate about you. Number one, you're too hot. Seriously, your body heat surrounds me like a warm little cocoon and makes it difficult for me to get out of bed. How can you never be cold? That's not normal. You're a liar. There is absolutely no way that I could have looked fantastic every time I've asked you in the past 10 years. Newsflash, sweetie. No one looks good with the flu. Number three, you blow through cash like there's no tomorrow. Sure, I'll use that coloring book you picked up for me just because you knew I'd love it, but only because I can't return it. Just know that I never would have picked it up for myself, and it's a waste of our hard-earned $4.99. Number four, your memory sucks. You usually have no remembrance of what we've argued about three years ago and don't understand how it's pertinent to the argument we're currently having. Regardless of whether or not I'm fighting fair, you need to double up on your vitamins, bud. Number five, you do too much. 
My dreams of being a housewife are shattered every time I come home and the dishes are done and the laundry is put away. Stop being such an overachiever. Number six, you are way too quick to apologize. Do you know how hard it is to stay mad at you when you do that? I assume it would take me much longer if I were the ever the one who was wrong. After years of wedded bliss, it's bound to happen eventually. Number seven, you're a tough act to follow. I simply cannot compete with tickle fights to wake Christian up or surprise Happy Meals when he gets to the car after school. It is exhausting to figure out ways to be as fantastic of a parent as you are. Number eight, you cannot be trusted. When we go out on a date, I expect for it to be just the two of us. There is no need for my best friends to appear at the bar to surprise me for my birthday. That kind of ruins the mood. Number nine, you micromanage everything. I hate the way that you plan every moment of our weekends together so that we can maximize our family time and make memories. Your lists have lists, and it's truly tiresome. Number 10. You are so bossy. Don't tell me when I can nap. I'll nap when I'm good and ready, mister. Don't tell me when I'm stressed out or need cheering up. I'll let you know. You think you know everything, and it's getting a little ridiculous there. I feel so much better getting that out. Now that the cat's out of the bag, you can work on being a cold, brutally honest, penny-pinching, lazy, unapologetic, bad father who never lets things go, never plans anything, and doesn't love me with ever f every fiber of his being for some reason or another. Because if the past 10 years has taught me anything, it's that I don't need that kind of guy in my life. I deserve so much better. Just kidding, my love. Keep being the most amazing guy that I've ever laid eyes on. I'm so thankful for you and the family that we've built together. Our love has never been easy, but it's always been worth it. Do not change at all, because then you wouldn't be the man that I fell in love with and vowed my life to a decade ago. You drive me crazy and annoy me like no other, and I don't like you all of the time. But I wouldn't have it any other way. Happy 10th anniversary, Blake. Here's to a lifetime more. Barbie let's go party growing up I was not a Barbie fan Ken was not my dream guy I did not want a pink Corvette and the dream house was never part of my plan I'd play with them at a friend's house but I really wanted nothing to do with them otherwise crash test dummies creepy crawlers stretch Armstrong those were my kind of toys 
I was always a tomboy at heart, and Barbie, if anything, epitomized everything I wasn't in my eyes. Small, blonde, beautiful, and popular. Barbie was a double standard, the ideal beauty, and an unattainable standard for beauty. No offense, Barbie, but you've been stuck in a rut for quite a while, and you no longer represent what a real woman is. We all don't have that perfect figure. We all cannot walk in heels 24-7. We all don't want long, blonde hair, and we have to tweeze, wax, and shave in order for our skin to be that smooth. Real women? Well, we come in all shapes and sizes. Our hair is every color of the rainbow, and our skin tones are a range of beautiful shades. We are not a one-size-fits-all bunch. Life in plastic just cannot be that fantastic when you're stuck to one mold. Last month, Mattel unveiled the 2016 Fashionistas Collection, which features dolls with four different body types, seven skin tones, 22 eye colors, and 24 hairstyles. The dolls will be released throughout the year, with the first being available as soon as spring. This new generation of Barbie dolls is diverse and represents a myriad of women who were not represented before. Barbie will now be offered in petite, tall, and curvy, as well as the original doll. Whether she has blue hair, brown hair, or blonde hair, black eyes, hazel eyes, or green eyes, and mocha, pale, or peach skin, Barbie will reach audiences that she's never been able to reach before. After all is said and done, there will be 29 unique dolls available. Barbie, you have never looked better. Mattel stated in their note on Barbie's website that girls everywhere now have infinitely more ways to play out their stories and spark their imaginations through Barbie. I know that I would have loved to play with dolls that looked like me, my mother, and my friends when I was younger. As someone who has dealt with body issues for the majority of my life, I wish that this could have been part of my childhood. It would have made me realize that I'm fine just the way that I am, and I don't need to look like Barbie. Barbie needs to look like me. My only recommendation for Mattel is to continue to revamp and grow as other companies like American Girl have done. Ken needs a makeover too. I would love to see Barbie with hearing aids and motorized wheelchairs and glasses as standard accessories. Barbie and Ken could use a tattoo or a piercing as well. The world is fantastic because of our differences, so we need to stop suppressing them into assimilation. Mattel is off to a great start, but I can't wait to see what the future holds. I can only hope that Barbie forgives me for tying her to a ceiling fan by my hair when I was younger. <laughs> Truth? My fight song. This post comes with a slight warning. Some of the content may be uncomfortable to hear, but this week is National Eating Disorder Awareness Week, and I feel like my story needs to be told.
My journey with eating disorders started young. I had undiagnosed anorexia when I was seven. I wouldn't eat breakfast due to scheduling. Tell my teachers at lunch I was full from breakfast, and then tell my parents I was too full from lunch to eat dinner. I was discovered when my parents found a sock drawer full of lunch money. I did it because a boy in my class called me fat and jiggled my arms. My parents took me to my doctor, and the doctor said it was all in my head and I was fine. Oh, and that I could maybe try a diet if I was feeling low. I turned to bulimia Thanksgiving Day of 2006. We took in my godfather's family as our own when he suddenly passed away a month after his wedding. Unfortunately, this brought great stress to our family. Instead of putting my unwanted two cents in, I kept shoving my face full of food until I made myself sick. For some reason, controlling what went in and out of my body stopped the stress and made me feel in control of the situation. For me, bulimia was more about stress relief than weight loss. However, I made myself think it was some kind of a diet. If the calories did not have time to absorb, then they didn't count, right? When things got too rough at school, work, in my marriage, or with friends, I had a built-in defense mechanism. I wasn't even overeating. I was eating normal meals and throwing them up. At the height of my bulimia, I was purging three times a day. Work, school, home, malls, and even restaurants. I had no shame. I learned how to throw up so quietly, most people never even noticed. I also became very good at hiding my red and raw knuckles, of which I still have scars, and bloodshot and tear-filled eyes. I would say that I thought of something sad, or that I had a coughing or sneezing attack that sent me into tears. I wore longer sleeves to cover up my knuckles, and had foolproof methods in place to prevent me from getting dirty. I even continued for months after my husband caught me because the toilet didn't flush properly. It was only becoming pregnant with my son that made me stop. I didn't stop for me, but for him. He didn't ask to be born, so I had to make sure from the very start I would take care of him, even when I did not want to take care of myself. After his birth, I started back up after I found out some troubling news in my marriage. Not only had food become my enemy, but I had become my own enemy. How could I expect this man to love me when I couldn't even love myself? It was then I realized I needed to seek help. With the help of a therapist, I was able to realize that the bulimia needed to stop immediately for their sake and mine. But my therapist moved and the years between were filled with yo-yo dieting, flirtations with binging, and the guilt that followed. I knew that I needed to change and it needed to be for good. In the past year and a half, I have lost 40 pounds from my highest weight. It has been a long road, but I know that I'm losing it once and for all. It's as simple as making wise decisions, realizing that each day is a new day, and being active. None of which is simple at all, because I did none of that when I was bulimic. It's easier said than done. Believe me, I know that. I don't deprive myself, but I constantly scrutinize the decisions I make in terms of my diet and exercise. But I am holding myself accountable once and for all for my health. Having lived on both sides of the coin, embracing my curves and not having to hide in shame or run to the bathroom after every meal is much more appealing than the alternative. Every action has an equal reaction. If it doesn't affect you, it will affect someone. I know that my family worries about me each time I go to the bathroom after I eat. I know my husband is much more cautious and looks at my knuckles from time to time. Bulimia is considered a secret disease but the effects are much more widespread.
I do not consider myself cured. I consider myself forever recovering because honestly, I still think about purging. When things get too crazy or when I just had to have that last bite even though I knew it would make me uncomfortable. The last time I purged was in November due to familial stress and I would like to keep it that way. I am one of the lucky ones. As far as I know, I have no lasting effects from all of the damage I was doing to my body. I know just how lucky I am. So why did I write this? Why am I telling you? I don't want pity. I do not want to place blame on anyone except myself. I simply am writing this, saying this, in hopes that I can get one girl or woman to look in the mirror before they purge. Look in the mirror and realize that it is not worth it. You are beautiful. You are enough. Don't do it. God made each and every one of us the way we were meant to be. Getting healthy is one thing, but mutilating our bodies for stress relief or weight loss is completely different. If we cannot love ourselves, how can we expect to love others or have others love us? More so, what fundamentals are we going to teach our children if we tell them one thing and do the complete opposite? I may have body parts that jiggle. I may need to remove hair from my face. I may need foundation to cover up a pimple. My feet are wide and big, and I will never be a marathon runner or a supermodel. I am me, though. Every day, I learn to love that person a little more and embrace the fact that others love me as well. If anything can come from a negative situation, my bulimia has taught me that I am worth loving as long as I love myself. Thanks to a good friend of mine, I was able to meet Rachel Platten, who sings the song Fight Song on Saturday, and thank her for helping me through my own fight. That song came at the right time of my life because it helped me realize that I am worth fighting for regardless of what life throws at me. I remember hearing the song before it became popular on the radio and sobbing in my car because I felt like it was written for me. Everything came full circle Saturday as I sang the song at the top of my lungs without tears because I know how far I've come and how strong I've grown to be. Why I Climb On Saturday, March 19th, 2016, I'll be climbing the U.S. Bank Center. 47 floors, 94 flights, and 1,034 steps. I'm stepping up to the challenge and participating in the Fight for Air Climb to help fundraise for the American Lung Association. Last year, more than 30,000 people throughout 63 events across the country 
came together to raise more than $8 million. 89 cents from each dollar goes straight to the cause. My participation will help raise funds that help to provide education, support, advocacy, and research needed to help beat lung disease and perhaps even find a cure. The American Lung Association is the leading organization dedicated to saving lives by improving lung health and preventing lung disease. Programs like Lung Force, Asthma Basics, and Freedom from Smoking are just a few of the programs that are really making a difference in lives. With each step, I'll be fighting for healthy lungs and clean air. Most importantly, I'm climbing because my mother cannot. Each and every day, my mother lives with COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which is an inflammatory lung disease that causes obstructed airflow from the lungs. It is very common in the United States with more than 3 million cases per year, but there is no cure. Any type of bacteria, virus, or pollutant can exacerbate COPD, meaning that a common cold can mean a week stay in the hospital. I am participating to help raise both awareness and funds for 33 plus million who suffer from some type of lung disease, but especially for my best friend and inspiration. My mother is the strongest person that I've ever met and I will keep advocating for and will keep battling with her until we find a cure. With each flight I climb, I will think of her. I will smile big when I pass the sign to honor her and I can guarantee you that she'll be the first person I call when I reach the top. If you'll be there on the 19th, make sure to stop me and say hi. If you're interested in joining me, you can find more information at action.lung.org. If you can't make it, but you'd like to donate towards my climb, please email me at manda.riley at yahoo.com. You have the power to make a difference if you just take the first step with me. And mom, your fight is my fight. Know that you are not alone, and together we'll make it through COPD and whatever life throws at us. I love you. Spread the word. There are so many words to describe my son. He's pretty radical. At times he can make rash decisions. He has a rebellious streak occasionally that can cause him to be reckless. Other times he's relaxed. He is extremely resourceful, but his dancing and jokes are often ridiculous. He's a boy, so there are times that he's revolting, but I think he's remarkable. As you can see, there are so many words that begin with the letter R to describe my child. 
There is one word that should never be used to describe him, which also happens to begin with that letter. You see, the R word is not just a word. It's offensive. It's derogatory. It's hateful. It's ignorant. It's inconsiderate and disrespectful to those with intellectual disabilities or those who are developmentally delayed. And the use of the R word needs to stop. I will never forget the first time that the R word was used to describe my son. We were at a local indoor play area shortly after his diagnosis, and he was trying to desperately play with three brothers who clearly wanted nothing to do with him. He got frustrated and started to bang his head against the slide. The boys laughed at him and walked away using that vile word. Their mother looked at me and laughed it off, even though there were tears in my eyes. My heart broke, not only for my child, but for those children who were being raised that this type of hate was alright. I'd love to say that that was the only time I've heard that adjective used to describe Christian, but it's not. There have been other times that I've heard it screamed at him or mumbled under someone's breath. And though I tell people that the word is a terrible word to use, it happens again and again. But it just doesn't stop there. The R word is used nonchalantly in everyday speech as an adjective to things that we don't like or that we think are stupid. There is absolutely no contextual situation where this derogatory word should be used. One second off your lips may cause a lifetime of emotional distress for that person and their family. March 2nd, 2016 was the annual day of awareness to spread the word to end the word. But really, this should be 365 or 366 days of each and every year. That's why I didn't write this post or I didn't talk about this post on that day. I urge you to take the pledge at www.dar.r/word.org. Help to eliminate the demeaning use of the R word. Stop using the word and practice what you preach. I encourage you to read any article from the Mighty to help you respond when you do hear someone using that word. Make respect the most powerful word that you use, beginning with the letter R. Help me spread the word to end the word. Birds of a feather. Sometimes you fight the weak and the weak looks like it just might win. Deadlines pile on top of appointments, on top of errands. If stress could pay the bills, you'd be debt free. Getting hit in the face with a ball feels like the end of the world. Forgetting to put the completed homework in the backpack means five minutes less of recess. 
and a scraped up elbow can be the icing on top of the cake of a week that never ends. And then there are the times that you fight back with all you've got. You get in the car and get Slurpees on your way to dinner. You allow the fries as a side to the pizza. You get the loaded mashed potatoes and squeeze a little extra lime into your margarita. You order the large orange soda and watch as an orange ring forms around his smile as you play some random game at the table together. But you're together and he's smiling. You take that extra time that it takes for your meal to come out to make plans for the rest of your evening. You explain what charity is and why it is so important to give to others and find yourself smiling when $2 is offered from a piggy bank for your stair climb the next day. There aren't any roses to smell, but you look over at the most gorgeous set of eyelashes a child could have and the cutest dimple on your chin and thank the heavens that you created that miracle. And when you examine Snapchat filters that turn your dog into a child, with a single, single silly selfie, you realize you're two birds of a feather and you flock together to get paint supplies for Minecraft-themed letters for a wall and adult coloring book. You stop at the bookstore on a whim and find Pokemon books at a great deal. You hold a hand that reaches out to you, and you look in the rearview mirror as you hear the most infectious giggles you've ever heard. And when you make a joke about how the night was horrible and hear how great it was, you know that you didn't let the week win. Beyond April 2nd, the United Nations has deemed this Saturday, April 2nd, 2016, the 8th Annual World Autism Awareness Day. April is commonly known throughout the world as Autism Awareness Month. During this time, we will see an influx of blue light bulbs in buildings, shared Facebook posts, the ability to purchase a paper puzzle piece to help fundraise, and hashtag upon hashtag about hashtag autism and hashtag awareness. In these past eight years, the world has become more than aware of what autism is. But I still get apologies when I say that my son is on the spectrum. We still see the stares and hear the rude remarks in public. My son is autistic and he cannot change that as he cannot change that he is Mexican, that he has blue eyes, or that he needs glasses. He is not broken, he is not diseased. He does not need to be fixed or cured. And my husband and I, we don't need to be saved. Christian deserves to have the same experiences and dreams as any other child. He deserves to be included and integrated in his surroundings because he belongs. The only difference is that he may need assistance to help maximize his potential. And there is potential. He needs support 
services, and accommodations to help him navigate a world that wasn't particularly made for him. And it is my job as his mother to make sure that the world gives him the right to be who he is unapologetically and unconditionally. Awareness is only the tip of the iceberg. We must remember that awareness does not mean acceptance, and acceptance does not mean appreciation. Acceptance gives a sense of tolerating, but appreciation proposes valuing. Take the time to learn about how to appropriately interact with the child on the spectrum, or how it impacts families. And if you don't know where to turn, ask someone. I would, be ra- I would rather be asked questions on how to approach Christian or what my husband and I go through on a daily basis than for someone to assume or get the incorrect information. I am never offended when someone has a thought out or reverential question because that means they care enough to know more and that they will value both my opinion and my child. After you get that information, share it with everyone you know. As parents, we spend so much time advocating for Christian and exposing myths about autism. The more that communities understand autism, the less work we have to do to ensure that he is being treated appropriately and given fair opportunities. Knowledge truly is power, and with power does come great responsibility. And not just for Spider-Man. Make sure you speak up if you hear someone saying something rude incorrect or inconsiderate about autism. If you see a child having a difficult time, offer a smile or assistance to the parent instead of a glare and judgment. Help your children to understand that our children make fantastic friends once they are comfortable. I urge you to dig a little deeper on April 2nd, throughout the month of April and beyond. I wrote an article for Metro Parent last year called 10 Things parent of an autistic child needs. It's had a bit of an impact to help understand autism from the parent's perspective, and I urge you to take a read. Maybe a good resource for those who are just starting on their journey through autism awareness, acceptance, or appreciation. And please feel free to contact me if you have any questions, concerns, or problems. I'm not an expert, but I will help in any way that I can. This podcast is a member of the independent podcasting community. It takes a metropolis. If it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a metropolis to raise a special needs child. Add therapists, psychiatrists, school psychologists, support groups, and subtract family, friends, and others who do not or will not understand special needs, and you have an idea of what a special needs family deals with on a daily basis. 
It's definitely not easy. There are tears and frustrations along the way, but the good outweighs the not so good, and we love our support systems more than anything. As I mentioned in a previous article, two of the things that a parent of an autistic child needs are to people to watch out for us and to not give up on us. In between the day-to-day activities of being a parent, along with the added bonuses of therapy appointments, arranging the perfect moment to refill medications that can't be auto-filled, IEP meetings, and planning outings to the second to prevent a meltdown, it's really easy for a special needs parent to forget they were anything before a special needs parent. We forget that we are still a friend, child, sibling, relative, employee, and significant other. It is so easy for us to lose our identities as either an individual or a couple. Blake and I are so very lucky. We live within a household of people who love and understand our CJ as much as we do. We were able to go to a concert and dinner and know that he will be well taken care of. My parents are pros when it comes to special needs, as my son reminds us of my brother when he was Christian's age. We definitely understand that we are in the minority here and that not every special needs couple or family has this luxury. Thankfully, there are other organizations that help give everyone a night out. One of these organizations and part of our own proverbial metropolis is the church that we found almost a year ago. From the moment we stepped inside the Ridge Community Church, we felt welcome. One of the Ridge Kids volunteers sat with CJ outside of the classroom until he felt comfortable and safe enough to enter. Another reassured Blake and me that he would be fine and urged us to go to the service. Sure enough, he was fine and we were hooked. A year later and we both serve regularly and CJ can't run into the classroom fast enough or leave the room slowly enough. One of the things that impressed me the most about the Ridge is their viewpoint that all children should be able to find and follow God in a fun and safe environment. It's truly their goal to make sure that no child is left out, and they try to make sure that each child is included, but that their needs are respected. We live this firsthand at the Ridge. Christian is more than welcome to participate in activities, but when he needs a moment to collect himself before he gets overwhelmed, there is a quiet corner for him to play with Legos. There is a service with specialized environment for special needs families, a buddy team that provides one-on-one attention to children and young adults with special needs, sensory toys and blankets available, and a wiggle room for families not comfortable separating for service. Late last year, the Ridge began an initiative called Built to Last, and one of the pillars is to strengthen the next generation. Along with doubling the children's area to accommodate growth and finishing a secure entry area, there will be a special needs room available if needed. Inclusion is truly their goal, which is fantastic, because we left our previous church due to there being no children for Christian to play with. At the Ridge, we know he will have a variety of friends, and not only is he learning about them, but they are learning about him as well. He is not treated differently, and our family feels understood. I remember one of the teachers, Kathy, hugging me and letting me know that he was a special and wonderful little guy. I was approached by Jody, the public directions the public relations director for the church about promoting an upcoming rest at night for special needs families and I didn't think twice. It was a great opportunity for special needs parents to enjoy a few hours themselves to grab dinner or go shopping and for their children to be accepted, loved, and have fun in a safe environment. Kelly, the children's pastor, said that the Ridge realizes that raising a child with exceptional needs can be physically, mentally, and emotionally draining and that they want to offer support to these families in any way. 
The best part is that siblings are welcome to attend these activities too and enjoy a fun night. The evening will include varieties of activities for the kids to do. There'll be a room with air hockey, foosball, and an Xbox. There'll be another with board games and Legos. There will even be a movie room. Dinner was taken care of as well via pizza, and there were volunteers from a variety of backgrounds, ranging from special needs teachers to nurses to people with a huge heart to love kids. As Kelly says, they're anxiously awaiting any and all kids who might walk through their doors. The Ridge is doing some big things this year, and I'm excited to be part of all of them. I am so proud to be to have them as part of our metropolis. You've been listening to the Independent Podcasting Community. This podcast is a member of the Independent Podcasting Community. Best worst soccer mom ever. I remember when Christian first started soccer that I was so excited for his first pra- practice. I put on the soccer mom charm in my locket and threw in my trusty Chelsea shirt. Once we found the field, I couldn't wait to help him lace up his cleats and head to the field. It took some redirection and assistance because he was scared at first, but he got out there. Fast forward two years or so, and I secretly cheered when practice was canceled again yesterday because of field conditions. I quickly realized then that I am the worst soccer mom ever. Here are just a few reasons why. It's outdoors. And I, of course, forget blankets 95% of the time, so I'm left rummaging through my trunk to find a sweatshirt or box I can disassemble into something that will protect my bottom from grass stains and dew that makes it look like, like I wet my pants. There's also the bugs. Mosquitoes, gnats, flies, ants, you name it. I'm like a proverbial smorgasbord to any insect, flying, or otherwise. I apparently should be a weather person in another life because I can never predict the weather, meaning I'm never prepared for the conditions. I've worn a tank top and frozen and a hoodie and sweated to death. I've recently learned that layers are my best friend, but the outdoors, we are often not on speaking terms. Soccer turns me into the hot mess mom that we all know and well tolerate. Along with forgetting blankets and not preparing properly for the weather, there's something about soccer that makes me lose any marbles I had jingling around in the jar I call my mind. Gatorade? Crap, we'll stop at the next gas station and get a bottle. There are supposed to be two cleats, right? Note to self, shin guards go inside the socks. Oh, you're playing at the goals on the other side of the acre-long field of muck and mud, and that's why I got such a stellar parking spot over here. Fantastic. There must be something mesmerizing about that black and white ball that makes me lose all common sense. I'm an overprotective parent. 
hovering just on the edge of helicoptering. Fine, my helicopter mom of the month trophy is at the engravers right now. It really does come with the territory of being a special needs parent, however. When I found out that parents have to sit on the opposite side of the field as the team, I freaked out a little. Being on the sidelines can be torture for me. Boys roughhouse. I know that. But that can turn into serious business for CJ very quickly, and he can get aggressive without even realizing it. And he has no attention span. Hello, the word deficit is right in the description for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So when he's not playing, I just know he gets fidgety. So he'll grab at grass and throw it around or want to run behind the bench. I apologize to all who have heard me yell for Christian to pay attention during the game. The first time my boy got knocked down on the field, I was ready to turn into a one-woman ambulance while simultaneously plotting revenge on the juvenile barbarian that committed the heinous act of kicking the ball towards the goalie. I've watched wrestling for the majority of my existence and can cheer on the use of tables, ladders, and chairs, but I can't stand to watch another child push, kick things at, or paw at my child. Why are they grabbing at his jersey? Don't they know we paid good money for that? The parents on the opposing team aren't going to pay the copay for the broken bones. Why are they cheering their child knocking into mine? And there is no reason for any of that during practice. It is practice. Don't kick the ball so hard. Why try to take out the very same teammates that you'll need on Saturday? I am all about the game when he's on the field, but I have really no clue what to do with myself. I try to cheer for the kids on the field, but I often find myself cheering the wrong things. Yay, you kicked the ball right to the opposite team. Nice slide! Wait, sliding's not allowed? Great teamwork carrying the Gatorade and snacks together to the bench. I've also gotten the look of death from Christian several times for my use of endearing terms. Apparently, Baby, Pooh Bear, and Sweetie are not appropriate to yell at the goalie when he blocks a great shot. So I don't yell at the game and try to talk to the other soccer moms. I apparently miss the Ugg boots, Victoria's Secret yoga pants, Columbia fleece, and puffy vest dress coat. Though I have mastered the messy hair. I try to start conversations, but apparently soccer moms only answer in one-word sentences, so that really goes nowhere. I feel like I'm an au- on an awkward first date and quickly realize that the soccer field isn't the best place to pick up mommy friends, even if I offer them Starbucks from a paper bag. So I sit uncomfortably on the extra shirt I brought for CJ, fumbling around on my phone to look busy, and make sure to use the correct term of endearment when my son does something I think is good while swatting away the bug du jour. Being a soccer mom is nothing like I thought it would be. And I'm pretty bad at it. But I'm at every game I can be at. I remember the snacks when it's our week because it's emblazoned on my phone, planner, and sometimes by hand. I always participate in the high five line for both teams and know the difference between a great win and a sad loss hug. Whether he's the next Pele or if he loses interest when this season is over, I know that his smile is worth every bug bite, grassy bottom, lost marble, and awkward conversation. I just might be the best worst soccer mom there is after all. You've been listening to the Independent Podcasting Community. 
This podcast is a member of the independent podcasting community. I like all your parts. Being a mom isn't the world's most glamorous job. Trade evening gowns for sweats and the fastest and cleanest work appropriate attire. Trade makeup for marker spots and temporary tattoos of orange sports mascots. Trade hair appointments for being lucky enough to run a brush through it in the morning and having the time to use both shampoo and conditioner. Ready for my close-up? More like ready for a daily battle in the war of working motherhood. I have never been one for an infinite amount of self-confidence. I spent the mass majority of my life very unhappy in my skin. I attribute a large amount of my body issues to a little boy when I was seven who jiggled my arm and called me fat. I don't remember his name, and I doubt he remembers what he did, but that small gesture propelled me towards anorexia before my teenage years. Add numerous attempts at dieting, a slow thyroid, and a year's worth of bulimia, and presto, instant body hatred. I have often joked, which could have been a joke I borrowed from my mother, that I am heartbroken that the incision scar from my C-section took away my dreams of being a bikini model. No one laughs at that joke harder than me, and you can instantly see, in yet another way, how I am my own worst enemy. I've made huge strides in the midst of all of my setbacks, however. It took me well into my teenage years to wear tank tops again because I was horrified by my arms. I lived in baggy boys' clothes until my sophomore year in high school. Tour opened right around the same time I entered high school. I was beyond excited that plus-size clothing could look that cool, and thus my love affair with polka dots formed. My mom was so excited the year she could go back to school shopping for a boy and a girl, not two boys. Since then, I've maintained a steady flow of cute clothes and shoes to match, but admittingly having a family has hampered my style a bit. No complaints, just facts. Christian and I were on the way home from church a couple of Sundays ago with my parents. We were in the back seat, and he grabbed my arm and started to jiggle it. I asked him politely to stop because it made me uncomfortable. He asked me why, and I was honest with him and told him that I didn't like my arms and that they embarrassed me. Then he said, Mama, I want to tell you something. I said, Sure, baby, what's up? He said, I like all your parts. You like all my parts, I said? He said, I love all your parts. I love you. So I said, Thank you, Pooh Bear. I love all your parts, too. From your hair to your stinky little toes. He then cuddled up next to me, well as well as he could in his booster seat, and kissed my upper arm before lying his head on it. The very part of my body that I've loathed all of my life was the comfiest pillow for my little boy. They are also the arms that carry him and hug him. Now, I can't say that I'm never going to wish myself thin again, but I can say I was a little more confident as I looked in the window during my Zumba class wearing a tank top. Every part of my body that I hate 
is beautiful in the eyes of my son, which mean they can't be that bad after all. In the grand scheme of things, that conversation with my son was better than topping any best dress list. You've been listening to the Independent Podcasting Community. This podcast is a member of the Independent Podcasting Community. real superheroes. A few Halloweens ago, Christian won as Batman, and so I decided to be the weird, quirky mom as I am, and dress up as Wonder Woman for trick-or-treating. Since then, Christian may or may not be convinced I am actually Wonder Woman. And you know what? I am a superhero. In fact, if you're a mom and listening to this, you are a superhero too. Forget Wonder Woman, Black Widow, and Elektra. Mom's We are the real superheroes. Not all superheroes need capes or fancy costumes. Some of us prefer to work incognito. Are you still not convinced you're a superhero? Let's think about some of our superpowers. Our lips contain magical boo-boo healing powers. Our super strength can always pick up our children when they're down, both mentally and physically. We work for truth and justice like any other respectable respectable superhero, but we use our words as our greatest weapon. Our mom voices can rival any expensive gadget Tony Stark has up his sleeve. We can rival the Flash in terms of speed when getting a bucket, saltines, and ginger ale when we hear our children telling us they are going to be sick. Or heaving. Our supermobiles transport everyone to school, work, soccer practices, church, doctor's appointments, and stores. Remarkably unscathed and almost always on time, regardless of when we leave. Our voices are supersonic. Ask our embarrassed children on stage or horrified children on the field just how powerful our voices are. We have stealthy ninja moves when we sneak in or out of our children's room at night. Though tested and sometimes bent, moms are given superhuman patience the moment their first child is laid in their arms. All moms have a secret lair where gifts are hidden and candy bars are consumed in peace. Moms don't need a bat signal to always answer calls for help. We just know, and we're there as soon as we can be. Each and every mother has a stare that can freeze their children and spouse instantaneously. Our hearing is impeccable. Not only can we distinguish our child's cries from any others, but we know how to pick the most important words from our children's incessant babble and make it sound like we're paying perfect attention. More importantly, we always know when we need to listen 100%. Multitasking is just another power we have. 
Can Spider-Man cook dinner, do the dishes, help with homework, get his steps in for the day, and take out the trash while on a conference call? With great power does come great responsibility, you know. We have an extra set of eyes in the back of our head. We know when someone is committing crimes and know when to act. Jumping on the couch again? We know. Slipping the dinner you don't want to eat to the dog while we're taking dishes to the sink? We're not fooled. We see all. Our sense of smell can detect a cup of chocolate milk left under the bed, a chicken nugget caught in a booster seat, or apple slices left in a lunchbox over the weekend. Teeth that weren't brushed, unwashed hands, or armpits in need of deodorant are no match for our super-smelling capabilities. Moms can tell when a baby has a full diaper before the baby does. If this doesn't have you convinced that you're a superhero, just look to your children. They might say Batman or Superman or Spider-Man are their favorites, but their hugs, drawings, and gifts of dandelions say otherwise. So sit back on this superhero day and enjoy your kryptonite, whatever that may be. Mine was in the form of an ice skinny mocha latte while my partner in parenthood had school duty this morning. You've been listening to the Independent Podcasting Community. This podcast is a member of the Independent Podcasting Community. Life's a dance. I love country music. I love it so much that one of my dream trips is the fan festival where they hold um, in Nashville each year. Blake Shelton and Miranda Lambert were like Ken and Barbie in my book, until that whole Gwen thing ruined it. The soundtrack to the very uninteresting movie of my life would be filled with Brad Paisley, Lady Antebellum, and Sugarland songs. But I didn't always love country music. I thought it was all about honky-tonking, drinking beer, cheating husbands, fishing, and pickup trucks. I laughed at my dad for being such a dork when he volunteered to be security for acts like Lone Star, Leanne Womack, and Keith Urban. Yes, that Keith Urban. He convinced me to come to one of the fundraising shows being held, and I've been hooked ever since. There's something about the rawness of emotion in country music that hits me at my core. Whether you're so in love and you want to shout it out to the world, or you are so heartbroken that there is nothing more than that you want than to take a Louisville slugger to your man's car, country music is there. Whether you feel blessed or stressed, country music is there. Like her or not, Carrie Underwood is a princess who makes you realize that dreams can come true. Toby Keith makes you proud to be an American. But I digress. I'm getting off my original topic here. However, I would be more than glad to talk about country music if I... FM 106 or KTI Country would like to shower me with gifts of CDs and concert tickets? No? Fine. Now I'll end my shameless plug. One of the first country songs that I fell in love with is Life's a Dance by 
John Michael Montgomery. The lyrics are so simple, but the melody is beautiful, and it's a song everyone can relate to. It's a feel-good song. Life's a dance, you learn as you go. Sometimes you lead, sometimes you follow. Don't worry about what you don't know. Life's a dance, you learn as you go. Then I sat down and really thought about it. Life's not a dance. John Michael, you lied to me. Dance is filled with routines and choreography. There are even fancy mats you can throw on the floor to help you know where to step. And most importantly, they get to practice. There's no practice in being a mom. If you screw something up, you have to hope that you don't leave a lasting impression on your little one. You can't just restart the music and try again. One, two, three, broken bone! Let's try again. One, two, three. That's not how life works. If the bills are piling up, the child is screaming for no apparent reason, and dinner didn't turn out, you just can't take your bag and head out of the house like you can call off practice and exit the dance floor if a routine just isn't working. I'd love to say that life is like an episode of Dancing with the Stars, because you really can't redo live television, but that's even more far-fetched than saying that life is just a dance. We all don't have the time to practice dancing like it's a full-time job. We don't have personal stylists making sure every hair is in place, and we are the maximum amount of tan to look more sun-kissed and less snooky. Our outfits don't cost more than rut payments. We don't look like Aaron Andrews, and our significant others are not Mark, Maxim, or Derek. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a dance hater. Besides the fact that I have absolutely no God-given coordination... I like watching dance shows here and there and attempt to get down on the dance floor at weddings. And yes, I am fully aware that typing get down makes it painfully obvious that I will never appear on an episode of So You Think You Can Dance. I know, I can't. So don't worry, John Michael, I forgive you. You needed the paycheck to make life a little easier. Plus, I know that if someone wanted to give me a dance mat with the steps to make life a little easier, I wouldn't necessarily say no. The fact of the matter is that life's not a dance, and moms aren't professional dancers. Life is what we have in front of us, and we are a different and special kind of professional. It takes talent to hold a baby and eat a meal normally reserved for a knife and fork. It takes courage to stand up to someone in a restaurant who rolls their eyes and asks to be moved because they are bothered by your kid being a kid. It takes diligence to make sure that you're raising a child with manners and gratitude. It takes strength to get up in the middle of the night and sleep on the cold, hard floor next to your child to make sure the monsters don't get them. We don't always look beautiful doing it. We don't always lose half of our body fat doing it. And anyone who who has been pregnant will tell you that. We don't get a mirror ball trophy at the end of it all. We get smiles and laughter. We get sticky snuggles and beautiful weed flowers. We get trick-or-treating and letters to Santa. We get many pieces of art with growing handprints. Most importantly, we get to see our children grow up, and that, my friends, is better than any sparkly trophy or dance with a celebrity. So I may not know what my next step is, but I'll boogie my way through it and the next.
You've been listening to the Independent Podcasting Community. This podcast is a member of the Independent Podcasting Community. The greatest gift. As an adult, paper can consume our lives in so many forms. Money makes the world go round, doesn't it? So do bills. Some days it feels like I'm running on a mix of caffeine and lists that I've made and can't seem to find. At work, I cannot function without post-its, cheat sheets, manuals, and notebooks filled with meeting notes to look back on. I prefer my paper agenda in this electronic world and cannot plan my life without looking at the weeks ahead. It feels like many a day I'm drowning in paperwork that I need to fill out or file. But paper can be beautiful. It can be so, so beautiful. It can be the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. You can get a letter that says you are the best mom in the world and happy Mother's Day. Christian, to you, love mom. The heart my favorite color, his favorite color, and his daddy's favorite color. Sure, Hallmark cards are paper products too, but they're overpriced and not filled with as much love as my new favorite pieces of paper in the world. These are more than paper, but they are my lifesavers and reminders between stress at work and car problems that I'm doing something right in the world. Yes, these are fantastic presents, but my boy, he's my favorite gift of them all. I thank God daily for trusting me with him, and I'll spend the rest of my life proving to them both that I deserve this job. You've been listening to the Independent Podcasting Community. This podcast is a member of the independent podcasting community. How to win at the slot machine of parenting. Yesterday sucked. Plain and simple. We've all been there. I woke up late and rushed to get myself and Christian ready for school and work. We drove up to the school as this teacher was getting other kids off the bus so I didn't get my hug and my kiss goodbye. I get to work and my inbox is filled, my phone is blowing up with questions and urgent requests and I somehow unknowingly managed to get on my boss's bad side. 
I couldn't wait to leave, but one of those urgent requests left me with some overtime on top of it all. Traffic wasn't on my side, and by the time I got home, I had a headache that just wouldn't quit and missed my usual workout time. I'd like to say that the moment I saw my baby boy's face, that everything changed. That the clouds parted, the birds sang, the rainy skies turned to bright blue, and my headache vanished. But they didn't. Of course, my belated hug and kiss were wonderful, but I still felt like my shoulders were being weighed down. I helped make dinner, and all I could think of while I was stirring the noodles was how much I needed to do to prepare to do it all over again tomorrow. Lunch needed to be made, clothes needed to be set out, bills needed to be paid, and the whole bedtime ritual still needed to happen. In order to fully make this make sense, you have to realize that in our house, bedtime can go three ways. First, there's a situation where he listens to us telling him to turn off the TV or put away his toys. He obliges, give kisses and hugs to everyone, including the dogs, helps us get his milk and goes into bed so that one of us can sit with him bake for 15 minutes in a warm room, and you have a blissfully asleep child and an adult with a stiff back who peels out of the room as quietly as possible. Second, there's the situation where his day gets to the best of him, and he passes out on the couch watching his last show of the evening. Scoop him into bed, cover and let stew for eight or so hours. Third, the situation is tantric screaming at the idea of saying the word bedtime, filled with kicking and screaming and headbanging until he either passes out from exhaustion or he finally listens to one of the voices of reason telling him to calm down. It doesn't happen very often, but when it does, the screams are so high-pitched, I swear dogs all over Milwaukee are hiding in pain. This is when you want to run away and get takeout. So when I walked up to the proverbial bedtime slot machine last night, I was hoping for scenario one, cherries if you will. I wanted anything but lemons, scenario three. I put the coin in, pulled the handle, and crossed my fingers. Telling Christian to turn off the television resulted in his whining for one more show. Lemon. Explaining to him that he could watch another Power Rangers tomorrow resulted in crying. Lemon. Walking up to the television and turning it off resulted in that loud scream, the one that makes the dogs mad at me. Lemon. Three lemons! Jackpot! A bedtime meltdown! I win! Except I don't win. At all. This is not what I needed or wanted at this moment. I just wanted to curl up in bed with my fuzzy pillow and warm blanket and even that guy I call my husband and fall asleep. It was only 9 o'clock, but I was ready to close my eyes and forget this day. Christian had other plans, and suddenly, when all I wanted to do was cry, I started to make light of the situation. I looked at my husband and started an imaginary car to the sounds of the dramatic fake sobs. I started a play-by-play in tune to his consistently changing pleas for one more television show. The Red Ranger is in the lead for one more lap. It's the Red Ranger. Look out. There comes the Yellow Ranger in a close second with the Black Ranger behind the pack. It's the Yellow Ranger. The Red Ranger. The Yellow Ranger. It's the Yellow Ranger taking the race. I even chortled aloud to him for yelling to his poppy to save him. I'm fully aware that this takes away my nomination for Parent of the Year, but it made me feel better for that moment. If you can honestly tell me that you haven't laughed once during one of your child's meltdowns, you can call yourself a better parent than I. It's not a trophy, but it's better than nothing. Once he finally calmed down and curled up in my arms, I realized that maybe his day sucked too. Sure, he got his stickers for being a good boy, but maybe he did get yelled at by a teacher, or a kid just wouldn't leave him alone. Maybe he was upset he didn't get to play the game he wanted to at recess, or lunch wasn't his favorite. Maybe he and I had a similar day and he needed a laugh, just like I did. 
A few tickles and raspberries on the tummy later, he was his happy-go-lucky self, and a case of the giggles was all that needed to get mother and son out of their matching moods. Once I looked over and saw him sleeping like he was, I saw the halo again and couldn't help but think that today didn't suck that much at all. Maybe I do win after all. This doesn't stop me, however, from playing the bedtime slot machine again tonight. I'm slowly learning in this parents thing that you win some and you lose some. Come on, cherries! You've been listening to the Independent Podcasting Community. This podcast is a member of the Independent Podcasting Community. Place your bets. My husband and I work very hard at night to make sure mornings are as foolproof as possible. Blake makes sure that Christian's clothes for the week are set out after he does laundry. Yes, I said that my husband does our laundry. No, he's not available. We make lunches right after dinner because most nights leftovers comprise the lunches of tomorrow. Shoes are always by the door and backpacks, purses, hats, gloves, coats, etc., are always on the same chair every night. Showers and baths are almost always completed the night before, so all we have to do each morning are three very simple things. One, get dressed, including glasses. Two, take our medicine. And three, brush our teeth. One would assume that with a plan of action like ours, that mornings would be a walk in the park. Wrong. Mornings are constantly a hassle. No matter if Christian wakes up at 4 o'clock or 6 o'clock, we are always rushing. If bedtime is like playing the slot machine, walking into his room in the morning is like playing roulette. Regardless of if I put my chips on red or black, even or odd, the opposite comes up. The mornings I think I can expect a meltdown, I have a smiley, giggly angel of a child. The mornings I think my joyous son will return, I meet a kicking, screaming demon boy. We once attended a support group where one father stated that if he knew what caused his daughter to have a good morning, that he would make sure each and every morning would be the same. And I couldn't agree more. I'd freeze frame every step I made, took surveillance video, or even complete a play-by-play like you hear on those National Geographic specials. Watch as the North American boy child stretches and ceremoniously bangs his head against his pillow, marking his territory. As his father enters his room, notice as he makes no sudden moves as to not startle our subject. Unfortunately, his eyes latch onto his prey and he lets go of his most dangerous weapon, the obnoxious scream. Game over. Routines are very important to autistic children, and even the slightest change in said routine can throw off their entire day. Things need to be done in a certain order, and if I try to diverge from that routine, Christian makes it known 
most likely as loudly as he can. Even when I was legitimately sick and called into work, I had to get him ready and take him to school because no one else could do it. There are small things, such as finishing what he was building in Minecraft, or his past obsession of reading the letters and numbers on my license plate that, if not completed, will cause a meltdown. Most days, I wish I could pick him up and throw him into his booster seat, metaphorically, of course, but that's just not possible. I'm picking my battles. It doesn't help that I'm a type A personality and can be a bit stubborn and nor pushy. I can lose my cool if the TV isn't turned off exactly when I ask him to, or if he takes off his gloves because I didn't put on his hat first. I don't like having to rush getting him to school or me to work. I should know by now that I have lost control of my schedule to my child, but each day I wake up hoping that he can tell time, realize we're running late, and not fight me on putting his shoes on. And each day, the proverbial roulette machine I call my son proves me wrong and lets me know who's really got the reins. I found an article on Pinterest that was more than necessary for me to read. Have you ever stopped and thought about what's going on in your child's head? How telling them 90 times to put their shoes on the right feet annoys them as much as it annoys you? What about them thinking that housework is more important than spending some quality time with them? In case you haven't, here are A Child's Ten Commandments by Dr. Kevin Lehman. Number one, my hands are small. Please don't expect perfection whenever I make a bed, draw a picture, or throw a ball. My legs are short. Please slow down so that I can keep up with you. Number two, my eyes have not seen the world as yours have. Please let me explore safely. Don't restrict me unnecessarily. Three, housework will always be there. I'm only little such a short time. Please take time to explain to me about this wonderful world and do so willingly. Four, my feelings are tender. Please be sensitive to my needs. Don't nag me all day long. You wouldn't want to be nagged for your inquisitiveness. Treat me as you would like to be treated. Five, I am a special gift from God. Please treasure me as God intended you to do, holding me accountable for my actions, giving me guidelines to live by, and disciplining me in a loving manner. Six, I need your encouragement, but not your praise to grow. Please go easy on the criticism. Remember, you can criticize the things I do without criticizing me. Seven, please give me the freedom to make decisions concerning myself. Permit me to fail so that I can learn from my mistakes. Then someday I'll be prepared to make the kind of decisions life requires of me. Eight, please don't overdo things for me. Somehow that makes me feel that my efforts didn't quite measure up to your expectations. I know it's hard, but please don't try to compare me to elder children. Nine, please don't be afraid to leave for a weekend together. Kids need vacations from parents just as parents need vacations from kids. Besides, it's a great way to show us that your marriage is very special. 10. Please take me to Sunday school and church regularly, setting a good example for me to follow. I enjoy learning more about God. There are times that Christian shuts down on me. That doesn't mean he has nothing to tell me, he just doesn't know how. Children know more than they can lead on to, or that you realize. They can sense criticism and overprotection as much as an adult can, but since they cannot vocalize these feelings, it is easy to place them on a back burner. We often say that we love to see holidays through a child's eyes, but perhaps we should start seeing every day through our child's eyes. I'm going to start tomorrow morning. I will still place my bets, but if I don't win, I'm going to go for the consolation prize, a smiling boy during drop-off time. A little less nagging won't hurt anyone.
You've been listening to the Independent Podcasting Community. This podcast is a member of the Independent Podcasting Community. It's my party. I just used the last of my freebie coupons, which means that my birthday is officially over. It was a fantastic two weeks-ish of all of my favorite things, but once the confetti is cleared and the balloons are deflated, there's definitely a proverbial hangover that comes with being a year older, but not nearly as wise as you'd like to be. 30 was definitely a step in the right direction. I became steadier in my faith. I worked to forgive those who shouldn't be forgiven. I learned to love without expectations. My motherhood instincts have become more natural, but for as many steps as I've taken forward, there have been a few huge leaps backward. I fought a past demon in the form of an eating disorder. I threw myself many a pity party when things didn't go my way. Though the word no wanted to come out of my mouth, I found myself saying the opposite. I continued to be my own worst enemy. It's not like there was a heavens-opening, birds-chirping epiphany that occurred at 4.05 a.m. the morning of my birthday. Because there definitely wasn't. I've just been pulled more towards this defined self-awareness and search for the meaning of my own happiness. I think that 31 is going to be my year. It's going to be the year I make great strides to find myself and my smile on a more consistent basis. I wrote out a little mantra for myself to look at throughout the year, and I thought I'd share it because it might be what someone else needs to read today three things for me to know. Number one, it is okay to say no. You do not need to be everywhere or do everything. Choose wisely and do not feel bad for your decisions. You do not need to explain yourself to anyone for any reason if you do not feel like you need to. Number two, your body is not your nemesis. It may be a journey to health, but it is well worth it. Do not declare war on yourself, but know you are working on a better version of yourself to be around forever. You are worth more than any demon. Number three, be present in your life and stop comparing it to others. You were given your life because it was written for you and is everything you need. Cherish every moment and know that everyone fights their own battles and no one is perfect. Be your own authentic self and live your own authentic life because you have nothing to prove to anyone. One thing to remember, your happiness is in your own hands. Do not depend on others to make you happy, though you can surround yourself with those that do make you happy. If you do not like a situation, change it. If you do not like something, take action. Do not stew in your unhappiness because it will ultimately make you bitter. I threw myself a get-together at a local pottery painting place for my birthday because, well, I wanted to. I wanted to drink wine with my favorite local women and get crafty, and this seemed like the best reason to do so. As I looked around at my coworkers, best friends, and family, I realized how blessed I was, which prompted me to make my item that evening, a sign shaped like a heart that said the word blessed. 
When I blew out the candles a few evenings before, I wished for happiness. I hope to spend the next year and the rest of my life becoming self-aware of the blessings right in front of me before I look back and realized what I missed out on right before my eyes. I don't want to reminisce and figure out what I had was what I was searching for all along. Birthdays always seem to bring both the best and worst out in people. Well, at least me. I turn into a child who loves the attention and gifts, but it also makes me a little wiser so I'm proportionate to my number of years. Luckily, I just realized I can surf the birthday wave a bit longer. At least until my hair appointment, hair appointment is over using some of my gift money. You've been listening to the Independent Podcasting Community. For more information on our show, including where you can find us on social media or watch the show on YouTube, go to theblakeandsaleshow.com. Don't forget to comment or leave a rating and review, and we will read it on the show. Thank you so very much. Goodbye, and good night. Bye.